0: Hey hey everyone, welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show and today we've got another treat for you. It is Rachel Alba back. Um, she was on the show I think episode 72 so quite a while back now. She is a sex coach, she has a master's in theology, she has been on her own journey of deconstruction and we have had her back to answer your questions. I put out an appeal for questions about sex and dating and everything that people um, are trying to navigate post purity culture as they deconstruct and um, we have a great conversation here. Before we get started, I wanna encourage you, if you are deconstructing and you wanna connect with other people locally, the deconstructionnetwork.com, completely free resource that helps you connect with people that are deconstructing in your local area Um, It can be a really lonely journey. And so that can be a really helpful resource for a lot of people. Um, And if you want to support what I'm doing, um, you can check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash phildrysdale. Um, And for as little as five bucks a month, you can help me keep all my resources for free, help me um, spend my days helping people on their deconstruction journey. As a thank you, you get access to a private discussion group we have, which is really fantastic. We have amazing conversations on there. It's a real support network for many um, at this point. Um, and we have some monthly zooms and some other bits and pieces as well um, that you would get as a thank you. And so, um, if you are able and willing, and you appreciate what I'm doing, um, and would like to support me in that way, that's a great help. If you aren't in a position to help financially, that is totally fine as well. As I said, everything I do is absolutely free, and so I'll always be here to talk with you in the DMs over on Instagram or be putting out resources for absolutely free. Um, and so, please don't worry about any of that ever. Um, just letting people know that there's an opportunity there to help support what I'm doing um, and, and benefit from a few perks here and there. All right, that's enough from me. Let's dive into the conversation with Rachel Alba. How you doing? You good?
1: I'm good. How are you doing? Are you feeling yeah, better?
0: Right. Well, I feel a bit shit today, but uh, I'm I'm okay.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry that uh, you feel like shit.
0: Up and down and um, yeah, I've, I've been feeling better, um, but subjectively compared to feeling utterly horrific. Um, and then the last couple of days, I've just been feeling a bit crap again. So I don't know if I'm just pushing myself too much. I'm, I'm the sort of person that as soon as I feel like, oh, I can get back to work, I throw myself in 500%, you know, just like yep. crawling to the end of the day. Um, and, and so, yeah, I've probably just pushing myself too hard. Um, I know how that works.
1: Yeah. And like, so. yeah, like the last launch I did was like a 10-day launch it was like every day going live for 10 days and I was like this is fucking absurd I'm exhausted (laughs) everybody else is exhausted like never again we're gonna stick to like four or five days next time because
0: that's funny let's be
1: real I'm awesome but like I don't
0: 10 days is intense it's
1: intense and like I just crashed you know it was like the next day all I could do was like watch tv and like eat bonbons
0: right which That sounds great after 10 days of work. I mean, I feel justified doing that, generally speaking, after, like, recording one podcast for, like, two hours. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm taking a day off. Um, So, yeah, no, I I get it. I get it. Um, Which, yeah, you got to listen to yourself and figure out what you need, right?
1: Right. And Um, it's always a process because, like, our bodies are never the same one day to the next. Maybe we fed it too much mac and cheese and not enough kale and... The next week, we've eaten only kale, and so we feel very different. You know, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, or maybe the last time we did this, we were in the middle of a global pandemic, or <laughs> we were in the midst of a deconstruction, or we weren't. You know, whatever. We didn't just have a fight with our spouse, or you know, like there's a hundred and ten variables, and we always kind of like look at it, it's like, wow, I can know, I know, I can record for eight hours straight. I know I can write a book in two weeks, or whatever we decide to try and undertake.
1: Yes, that's but, what I'm uh, trying to do right now—is actually write a book in two weeks. Nice. Yeah, (laughs) not about religion at all. It's about why Boston sucks.
0: (laughs) Okay, nice.
1: I've like hated Boston since moving up here. And my husband was finally like, I'm sick of you talking about this. Write a fucking book. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll try it. Why not? I could
0: see that doing well. I could see it doing well. I'm trying to think my thoughts on Boston are pretty. Meh, I don't care. I've been like a bunch, but I've never like spent enough time in the city to be like, this is amazing or this sucks. It's mm. very much a, like, oh, we've gone into Boston, got some amazing donuts and left or gone for a meal or wandered around mm. and looked at a few things. So I don't know. I'm sure Boston is amazing to some and terrible to others, much like most it's of the It's terrible world. to me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Except for LA, which is terrible to everyone.
1: Yeah, um. right? <laughs> LA is just, it's got like the worst parts of all... It's, yeah, God.
0: I say that I know there's people that like LA. So yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> but I feel like nobody I know who lives in LA is actually happy there.
0: I have only met one person that loved LA and lived there. And she was convinced she was going to change my mind and tried so hard. And I was just like, don't want to do this. Like I, I'm I'm like a week in and I'm like, I still don't like LA. I don't know why I would live here. I don't know why I would want to do this. I can do anything that's here somewhere else and enjoy it more <laughs> and spend less time in my car being yelled at and yelling at folks. Uh, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So we're back. We're good for another podcast. We've got questions. I, I sent you a list, right? And I numbered yes. them and everything. And um, I did this with uh, Brian Peck last week. We did a religious trauma Q&A. And I had like 20 questions and I think I asked like four. And even then I Great. didn't even ask the questions. We just talked about the general themes that were in the questions. So don't freak out if I compl- if you're like, he's not even doing the questions because it's probably because we've ended up talking about something way more interesting. Um, but I'm trying to do the questions because I said to people, I do their questions this week. So we-, we can try this. There's some really good stuff in there. Um If people haven't already seen our talk already I'd recommend they go back and watch our prior one which is more about you who you are your journey there's no point in kind of rehashing that they can go back and enjoy that um in depth but uh let's let's dive into some some Q&A and all that good stuff uh, I'm excited for it, yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so
0: a rough brief overview you you're a sex therapist yeah and you Coach. predominantly sex coach yeah sorry and and you work with people a lot of people who are going through major kind of shifts in their faith and things like that and trying to navigate sex which is hard enough to navigate anyway never mind all the religious baggage that is interwoven into sex so i figured if there's anyone that's going to be able to answer our questions definitively with an absolute perfect answer no pressure um because these things are so black and white of course um, it totally would be black and you, white. Rachel. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think that like, I mean, I think what makes me sort of an interesting person to ask about these things is that I do have like a background. I have a master's degree in theology and my sex coaching certificate was very much focused on like sexology and the science of sex. Mm. So those two things combined, I think, are a pretty a useful way of being able to frame the, the conversation Absolutely. around it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, for real. For real. And I think there's, there's plenty of stuff out there. Um, but so much of it is, um, is so anecdotally driven. It's, it's the people's personal experience, which is hugely important, of course. But I think a a lot of our tendency, we've talked about this with Spiral Dynamics. I know you're a big fan of things like Spiral Dynamics, developmental theories and stuff like so much, um, so much of this stuff is going to be linked to where people are at where they were at when they were doing this stuff people are generally speaking even when they start to deconstruct very black and white and so, a lot of people that are talking about this in this space are still really orange really fundamentally black and white um, and so or maybe even green and so they are like everything you ever learned in church is evil everything else outside of it is good or you know whatever and it's like whoa. I'm like, that's not how life works. Um, and so I, I, I thought of you because I know that you are a more integral thinker. You think about things a bit more broadly, a bit more um, throughout that spectrum as well. And so you might bring a bit more depth to some of these because uh, some of the questions are really interesting. There's one that was really interesting, which was like, is there a good side to some of the purity culture, the, the, the what we often look at as a negative focus on sex? Uh, in the church, um, is there some good stuff to that? Is there a potential that I'm maybe throwing out some babies with bathwater here? Um, and I thought that's an interesting question that I think a lot of people would not even be willing to explore. Um, right. Yeah. So we, we can, um, we can go into some of this, but I, I thought we should start talking about like the initial shift that people are going through because most of the people listening to this have come out of kind of fundamental conservative, um, conventional Christianity and are navigating this New area of life without the black and white, this is how you do things. And yet their relationship to sex growing up was, this is how it works. You don't do this. You do that. You don't do this. You do that. And this is when you do it. And this is when you don't do it. And it was very, it was very structured, right? I mean, and that was, in some ways, that's really nice. I like the right? structure
1: That's sometimes. exactly what I was just thinking. It's good. <laughs> it feels really safe and secure when you have very clear boundaries and lines and things to do right. and things to not do. And then you're opened up to like the wild, wild west of like, oh shit, what am I supposed to do now?
0: Exactly. And so, so many of the questions were that. They were like, hold on, hold on. Like, I've only been taught to... Uh, You date to marry. So uh, I'm not really that interested in just like marrying some random guy I swipe right on Tinder over, right? So how do I date now? Like, how do I even begin Mm. to explore that? Like, you know, how do I begin to explore sex relationships with people even going beyond whatever boundaries there were in my christian upbringing which can vary obviously even exploring beyond that not even jumping into having sex on the first date or something that's scary to me i'm scared about making out with some guy or girl like that's a scary prospect to me because i kissed dating goodbye with josh harris right Right. (laughs) um, so how do you, how do you, cause I know you sit down and help people with this. Um, you know, I've sent people your way to help with this sort of <laughs> thing. Um, how do you begin working with someone? And, and if, if I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that place and I'm going, how do I even start considering dating, considering the topic of sex? Like, where do you begin?
1: I think it can be really important to start by just grounding us in our own bodies and knowing for yourself generally in life when there's a very strong yes and when there's a very strong no and seeing if you can start to notice that just generally in existence it's like you're looking at the menu trying to figure out what ice cream flavor to have and as you go through you're like do I want butter pecan or do I want cookies and cream and like you imagine in your mind like if I got the butter pecan what would I feel like as I received that from the cashier Mm. if I got the cookies and cream, how would that feel? Which one actually feels like a real yes? And noticing like what sensations come up in your body, what feelings come up in your body, how do you know that's a yes for cookies mm. and cream is obviously the answer. Anyone who likes better pecan, I don't know who you are what you're doing. I'm a <laughs> um, monster.
0: I'm, I'm just literally thinking like, where's vanilla?
1: <laughs> oh, right, or vanilla, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Um, Could I'm I be cookies- more
2: bland? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Vanilla's great. Nothing wrong with vanilla, either in sex or ice Eat what cream. You like. They're perfect. Um,
0: <laughs> maybe less so in the sex area, but like, certainly an ice cream
2: vanilla.
1: <laughs> so like I think that's like whatever it is that like is very easy for you to figure out the yes and no, to start right. to feel into that. And then from there start to notice when that comes up when it comes to a sexual circumstance. Mm. Knowing that especially at first, it's gonna be really hard to figure it out because you don't have a lot of practice. Right, And it is a skill, just like learning to play the piano, where like, if you sit down the first day you're going to play the piano, you're not going to play the Moonlight Sonata. (laughs) That may not happen for years, and that's okay. Um, But being comfortable with the fact that like, we're going to test the waters and feel what feels good and what feels not so great. Yeah. The other thing that I've noticed is a lot of times people don't even know what it feels like to be turned on. Mm Mm-hmm. And what turn on even feels like, because especially for women, we have far more of a capacity to just be like, I'm gonna shut off this part of myself forever. Um, And then you're coming out of this purity culture space and you're like, that's a really scary sensation. And so instead of seeing it as even, oh, this is my, this is arousal, this is sexual arousal. It actually just feels like anxious and anxiety provoking. And I do (sighs) think that in the same way that being excited about something and being anxious if you're somebody who experiences anxiety, which I do, and also experiences excitement about life, um, those things feel really similar in your body physically. And so it can be very challenging to notice if someone's somebody who tends to be anxious, but they also are coming from a purity culture standpoint, and now they're starting to feel sexual arousal, those things actually feel kind of similar at first. And so noticing that, There's actually a difference there that they can feel very similar. There is a difference. And the first step in noticing that sexual arousal is actually excitement and not anxiety is simply telling your brain, oh, this is sexual arousal. (laughs) And I think it can be really nice to do that by yourself first before you start to add in a partner.
0: Sure. Yeah, so getting comfortable with those feelings and the connection. Because the thing, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind and, and having to talk to a lot of people about this, because for some reason people decide to send me a message about this shit. I'm like, dude, I am not your sex guru, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but like, I, I get a lot of messages about stuff like this. And, and, and one of the things that comes to mind based on those messages and what you're saying there, that to me is like, I'm just immediately like, whoa, hold on though. There's a big gray area here where getting into your body and go, okay, what feels good? So I'm looking at the ice cream flavors. and I'm going, okay, maybe I want Hokey Pokey. Maybe I want vanilla. Maybe I want chocolate fudge. And then your body's going, no, they're all dangerous apart from vanilla. Do not try any flavors. You'll go to hell. (laughs) So there's this, there's this component as well, though, that like I, as a guy get aroused. I see a woman, I'm like, wow, she's hot. And I get turned on in some way. And, and I go, Now, in my body, coming out of like toxic Christianity, being single, I'm like, those are all really good things. Maybe I should go ask that girl out or whatever, right? But my default in Christianity has been, oh, I'm aroused. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm being tested by Satan. I'm, I'm giving into my flesh. I'm X, Y, Z. Like, there's so much, um, negative correlation to those positive, healthy, normal feelings that the body can, can do. Um, do you have like a kind of like um, a path that you would help people kind of go on it? are, they're, they're not even at the stage where they can go, let me just kind of step back and just like, kind of like go, okay, what feels good in me? Because they don't trust me. Like, do you know what I mean? they have been told not to, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: So I think the first thing to do is get your thoughts in the right place. Right. So our, our bodies come sort of second usually, and our thoughts come first. It's easier to change a thought than it is to change a physiological response. <laughs> okay. So getting in spaces like your podcast, like my spaces, um, where you're just having the conversation about sexuality as not something that can lead you to hell, mm. um, or even just getting yourself out of the mindset that hell even exists, you know, if that's, if that's your path, um, getting yourself into those spaces of just thinking the right thinking more expansively, not thinking the right things, but thinking more expansively about sex. Then from there, once your thoughts have sort of come along and you're like, okay, I really do believe that it's good and healthy to masturbate. I really do believe that having sex outside of marriage is fine. I really do believe these things. Then the second part is, but my body doesn't feel that way yet. Mm. And noticing that, your thoughts can be one place and your body can be somewhere different. And that doesn't mean that your thoughts are wrong. It doesn't mean that your body's right. And it also doesn't mean the opposite that your body is wrong and your thoughts are right. Because I think there's, there's a variety of ways in which everybody's going to come to their own conclusions about what is the right, like when is the right time to have sex in a relationship? Is it, um, I know one of the questions was that somebody asked was like, does everybody have sex on the first date? No, nobody like, There are people who do that on a regular basis, but that's not, like, the standard protocol for people who are secular. Um, I'm sure we could do a study. I'm sure there have been studies done that look at, like, when do people tend to have sex um, Mm. in a dating situation, but I don't have that off the top of my head, and I don't even know that it would be useful for someone to look that up and try to adhere to it. So (laughs) So I I
0: fit the median, like, oh, median is, like, after 11.2 dates. It's, like...
1: (laughs) Like first part of your 12th date is going to get exciting. (laughs) 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 We don't have to to do that. We, we can just be like, okay, there's, there's no expectation of like, when is the perfect time to have sex when you're dating somebody? Um, but knowing that where you're going to end up on answering that question is going to be different than where I end up, than where Mm -hmm. you ended up than when somebody else ends up. And it's also going to depend on the person you're dating. Like where your chemistry sort of feels, but, um, All that to say, your body's going to move at a different pace than your brain. And a lot of times, thoughts change first, right? The deconstruction process starts in your brain, and then it has to get into your body. And so part of how you start to get that into your body is by taking very small steps that feel safe. Yeah. Um, And I I always think back to a friend of mine who was raised, uh, she wasn't Hasidic, but she was raised conservatively Jewish. And for a while, she didn't wear pants because there's a a particular thread in that tradition of you don't wear pants because you don't want someone to see where your legs split because that can be arousing or erotic. And she finally wore pants for the first time. We like went to go see a play in New York and she was wearing a pair of pants. And I was like, you're wearing pants. And it was like, she was just testing the waters. And she Mm -hmm. knew that like, I wasn't somebody who was part of that community. So she wasn't going to be judged for wearing pants but she wanted to just see how it felt. And I think, you know, that that can be what you do is you just try it out and see how it feels. So maybe you're not going to go straight to like grabbing a vibrator and masturbating for five hours, but maybe you're just going to like give yourself a pleasurable self-massage that involves your whole body. And maybe you just happen to touch your genitals a little bit and just see how it feels Um, and see if there's, there's feelings that come up that are uncomfortable or there's feelings of guilt and shame and then talk to those feelings. You Mm -hmm. don't want to ignore them. You don't want to just shut them down or push them down, but you want to be gentle with yourself as those things show up um, and really hear what the fears are or what the shame is or whatever it is that's there. Listen to what's present, give it space to, to explain itself and then also to sort of, maybe even enter into a conversation with it. And I know that sounds a little bit schizophrenic, but like this can be done in a journaling exercise. It can be done. I'm a voice note person. I love voice notes. You can do it in a voice note to yourself. Um, there's also practices. I know I'm sitting in bed right now. So I've got all these pillows around me. There's also practices where you like take pillows and put them in different places and like actually talk to each pillow as though there's a version of yourself that's sitting on that pillow or there's a person that's sitting on that pillow so maybe it's your, like your youth pastor and you're going to tell them fuck off by like watching them at that thing like this is okay for me to do because of x y and z um any sort of practice like that can be really helpful right um yeah
0: mm. that makes so much sense I, I i the thing that i think of with that is i think of my own journey and just different things that were kind of like oh gosh that's very jarring to me that's very dangerous to me and yet intellectually i'd kind of gone beyond that already uh maybe it was um i saw two gay men kissing on tv and intellectually i was like being gay is fine i I, that's weird religion or whatever but it's still in me i was like oh i feel uncomfortable i feel whatever and i'm like gosh what's wrong with me i I don't want to feel like that i don't want to have that body response but this has clearly been programmed into me for like two and a half decades at this point, probably, you know, like it's, 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 it's a lot the, the the embodiment of some of these beliefs and some of these things are just so deep. Um, and it was very much kind of like just seeing and, and, and observing when that came up after I'd kind of done the intellectual work, seeing where it came up and almost kind of parenting my body soothing it, talking to it, finding out what, what you realize that this is safe. You realize that they're, That this isn't a dangerous thing for you you realize this is a healthy thing you realize that's a good thing that's wonderful and 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 just kind of soothing my body um trying to like kind of like bring some alignment and and so it's just the first thing i thought of but i'm like gosh there's so many areas in my own sexuality in my own sex uh uh, my sexual ethics all sorts of different things i'm like oh gosh or uh we talked about polyamory last time we we chatted and um I was just laughing because me and Till just started watching a, a show. I can't remember what it's called, actually. It's on uh, Netflix. You, me, her, I think. I can't remember what it's called, but it's about polyamory. And I was like, I'm loving this show. It's really interesting. But I was like, gosh, I would have died even trying to watch this show as a Christian, right? I mean, it just would have been so much. And just recognizing like those journeys that I've gone on in my own self, um, trying to integrate that body. Like it's a long time to come to these things. Like some of these things have been like, 10 years of becoming normal where i now have friends that are gay and trans or i have friends that are uh, polyamorous relationships and it's not even a thought that it's abnormal uh, unhealthy scary any of the initial thoughts i would have had um but that doesn't change like you said overnight right you don't just sit down and start playing this amazing uh piece at the piano um yeah. Okay. So great. So that's, that's really helpful because I know a lot of people in that kind of middle ground. They're, they're, they're really baby stepping. And and so as you kind of go through this journey, you start dating, maybe you start exploring, I mean, even dating non-Christians and things like that so is really scary for a lot of people. Um, that's going to be baby steps, you know, trying to kind of like self-soothe yourself and things like that. Um, But one of the things that I've come across um, that's really fascinating that a lot of people struggle with, and and, and I I think it's a really normal thing to struggle with and quite a scary prospect, is having the conversations with uh, people that you're dating um, about the disparity of sexual experience. And so it's going to be really normal for most of the, you know, most of us coming out of religion in our 20, 25, 35. Some people are coming out as 45. They've been married and divorced and they've only ever been with one woman since like they were like 17 and they've got kids and they have no idea what they're doing and what's going on. Um, or maybe you're 25 and you are still a virgin. You've never even kissed someone because you're you're, you're terrified by that whole prospect. And you jump on Tinder or Bumble or whatever and you, you meet someone. There's this, this under the surface, um, anxiety, terror. I don't know what it is. I guess it's a whole range of emotion of how do I even begin to broach this conversation that what is absolutely normal for you is utterly terrifying to me. It's, it's not normal. It's, it's scary. I'm, you know, we talk about like the idea of, Getting comfortable with your own body, learning to be, it's okay to masturbate. How, it, it, it's, it's a whole other thing to go on that journey when someone else is involved, you know? Um, that's, that's a, and, an expectation of some sort of acceptance, understanding from that person. It, it feels like it, 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 I can see why this is a big deal in people's heads, right? Just talking about it, I'm like, gosh, I'm feeling anxious <laughs> describing this situation. I'm like, this is intense. Um, yeah. What? Where do you? How do you begin to help people go on this journey of starting to date outside of this kind of weird, closeted kind of like we are all very insular. We don't have any sexual experience. We don't do this. We don't talk about it. We don't. If we do talk about it, it's about how we don't talk about it. Right. That's the only thing we're talking about. <laughs> um, how How do you begin to start going on this journey with someone else?
1: So I think it's important to recognize that. It's not like the people who are secularly raised or raised outside of purity culture are automatically, everyone's had a bajillion sexual partners and they know how to do everything perfectly. And they have been talking since they were 13 about how to give the best blowjobs and how to give the best kisses and how to go down on somebody and all that stuff. Like most people in the world are probably not as good of lovers as they could be. That's just the truth of it. Like, right. unless you've taken the time to, to really, and even if you have, every person is going to want something slightly different. Mm. So the reality is, is that when you're in a relationship with another specific individual, it's important to be curious about what they want and what feels good to them and what feels good to you in relationship to them. And focusing on the individual circumstance is far more helpful than getting sort of bogged down by all the lack of experience you might have because ultimately it's not that important. Mm. Um, What is important is coming into the experience with curiosity, with an openness to learning about this other person's body and with some like decent communication, which I realize is also, that's asking a lot right? Mm-hmm. The, this, yeah. one of the big keys to having great sex is like being able to communicate about what you want and asking your partner what they want. And right. that can feel doubly terrifying sure. <laughs> if you are also coming from a place where you're like, but we don't talk about this. And there's also this assumption, thanks to movies that we've seen, even not like pornography movies, but like television shows and, and things where the idea is, do you everybody knows what they want immediately. And like you just Mm. hop into the bedroom and it happens magically, but that's not true. Um, sometimes that can happen, but that's not always the case. And even if that happens the first few times, eventually, because of the way that companionate love comes up, eventually you're going to have to figure new things out. So, Mm. and what I mean by that is that, um, when we first start to feel attracted to somebody, we first start to date somebody our hormones are, are increased in such a way where the goal is for evolutionarily, the goal is for us to mate, and therefore basically anything's gonna be fine. And then as you start to get to know somebody and you move from that like initial stage of attraction and desire, it sort of peters out, and then you start to get into companionate love. And that can happen anywhere between like three months to two years. Um and then companionate love starts to sink in, and then you have to actually deal with a human being. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody who's in a long-term relationship knows how that feels. (laughs) It can be better or worse on the other end of it. But like eventually you notice that person's socks smell bad and like, you know, they've got their whatever quirks and sometimes the things that they were trying in the bedroom at one point in time are no longer working. They don't seem to be pleasuring you in the same way they used to. And it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily that their skills changed. It's that your hormones are shifting such that they require more skill. Right. Um, so also know that that's going to be on your side too. If you're new to sexual experiences, that at least on the, in the first three months, at least you're going to be, there's right, going to be a lot a of grease. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's helpful just to be curious. And one of the best things, I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like to be asked in a bedroom setting, what do you want? And mm. what do you like? And I think that yeah. can be a really helpful starting point And then once you are giving somebody what they desire and what they like, it's going to give you confidence. Mm -hmm. And then ideally, if you've had some experience with your own body and you know a little bit more about what you like and how you like to be touched, you can share that with your partner. And then that's how that sort of moves forward. It's also something where it's trial and error. Like, I didn't know how I like most to be kissed before I kissed multiple people because Mm. everybody's kind of got their own style. And I know now like, Oh, that person was the best kisser I've ever kissed, but I've kissed. I don't know, lots more people than one. And there's a variation there. And in the same way, there's different styles of having sex. There's different styles of how somebody might touch you or how somebody might frame the experience of sex. Um, and that can shift a whole bunch of, how you, ex- of, of like how you are able to figure out what you like and what you don't like over time. Mm. The other thing that I really wanted to point out is that the moment of intercourse is not the main event of sex if it's done well. It's mm-hmm. not that penis and vagina sex isn't fun, but it only lasts, I think on average, like seven minutes. And so, the goal of your dude and you're like, seven minutes, that feels like it's so long, or seven minutes, that's so short. What if I just expand the amount of time that I can go for? It? That's not the goal. Right. <laughs> no, it, it can be great if your partner wants that. That's great. You can find there's methods to continue to last longer. But what's more important is how you frame it beforehand and what yeah. you do after. And so, being really curious about the making out component, the touching each other. For sensual pleasure, both on the receiving end of the touch and on the giving end of the touch. Touching for pleasure is actually one of the ways to ensure that the person on the receiving end will receive pleasure as long as it's consensual. Um, It's a nice little secret I learned from being a massage therapist. If I was having a bad day and I wasn't enjoying massaging somebody, that person did not get as much pleasure out of it as if I was really enjoying the process of massaging them, not like for my own sexual pleasure, but just. I find it pleasurable to touch people. That's why I was massage therapist for a decade. Um, if I was really enjoying it, they would enjoy it more. And that's like part of the amazingness of, of touching is that if you're enjoying yeah. touching, your partner will enjoy that touch. Yeah. Um, and if you're being curious and mindful about how you're touching them and really, really taking in those sensations, they're going to enjoy it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. There's a lot in there. That's yeah. really, really good. Um, <laughs> I guess one of the things that jumps out to me, um, and this is more my personal experience, because you were saying like, oh, I don't know anyone that doesn't like, no, uh, uh, sorry, anyone that doesn't like to be asked, what do you want? What do you like? <laughs> and I think of when I first got married, um, my, my last, uh, marriage, I did not like being asked that. That was because I had been told, that my desires, my fantasies, my kinks, my fetish, whatever, whatever it might be, might be the most vanilla thing in the world. I am the vanilla ice cream guy, right? Um, but whatever it is, that's evil, that's dirty, that's X, Y, or Z. Um, and I'd also then be been on the flip side told that all women are like these, Christian women, obviously, not secular women. Secular women are, you know, the devil in disguise. But Christian women are these kind of, you know, quaint, uh, meek, you know, gentle flowers. And, and so the last thing I'm going to do is tell them that I want to, I don't know, like tie them up in my dungeon and have sex or I don't know, <laughs> right? right? Like, so whatever it is, I'm just like, ah, oh, no vulnerability here, shut down. Oh, I don't know. Like, what, what do you want to do? Right. And then it bounces back and forth because both of us have desires, but neither's comfortable escalating this situation saying, Hey, I'd actually kind of like to, i don't know try this upside down or whatever yeah. right? as soon as you're starting to explore it, it, it just to say hey i'd like to try this it's as it's vulnerable as it's put you, you put yourself out there um and it's something i've seen um in conversations with people that are coming out of um and, and this probably does link very strongly to how much this stuff was hit into you as a christian um, yeah. I i know there's a whole spectrum here of how much purity culture and these things can impact us um but I do know that a lot of people really struggle with that vulnerability of, 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 it's, it's the journey of figuring out, okay, yeah, I like this. I've tried this. I've tried touching myself this way. I've, I've fantasized about this or whatever. But it's a whole other level to then say to your partner, Hey, there's a, there's a person in here that you don't know and they would like to do this. That's a scary, uh, vulnerable thing, right? It's so a bonnet brand. You're cracking yourself open and you're opening yourself up to the partner going, Whoa. That's weird. I'm not okay with that. Which, of course, nine times out of ten is not what's going to happen. Um, but but it, being vulnerable to that, being open to that is, is very scary. Um, I think because we've been told again and again and again a lot of our sexual desires or whatever are wrong. Just wanting sex is wrong. So never mind whatever weird um, fantasy you've picked up along the way. Like, Do you have tips for how to cultivate more of a openness um an ability to be a bit more vulnerable in communicating in the bedroom um or wherever um with your partner like what, what do you do with people that are cuz i'm sure that's not something you've that's far into you i'm sure you've come across that um And I know that was a big thing for me to work through. And I'm not even sure I could give you tips on how I figured that out. I think it was just over a decade of like me just slowly and surely being a bit more comfortable in my own skin um, and being willing to open myself up to rejection and, and be vulnerable. And um, so I probably didn't do it well. So I have no idea what the right path is for how do I start overcoming some of this kind of, I guess it's linked in shame and all sorts of other stuff, really.
1: And I, I think it is a journey, right? It's not like you're going to mm. magically not like I have a magic wand or anybody has a magic wand or a light switch that you can switch. Um, I almost think that like my experiences were somewhat more similar to that in part because of, I like just plopped myself into a culture where that was what was going to happen was like everybody was doing this anyway. And so I could just like do the same things as everybody else. And I was right. assimilating to the culture of communication. But I think there's, there's two ways I want to answer this because I think there's people that are sort of just starting to date somebody and the way that you would approach the conversation about what you want, I would frame differently than let's say you've been married for a while or you're in a long-term relationship and you want to open up a conversation. So I'm going to talk about that first because it's a little simpler. And that would be to simply say, I'm curious about let's talk more about our sex life and you can frame it as like, you know, there's something I want to talk to you about. And like, I don't want you to think I'm weird or I don't want you to do whatever. I would like us to be able to have like a fruitful conversation where we learn more about each other and we get closer. And then this is what, what the thing is that I want to talk about. Right. That comes from read Mahalco's difficult conversation setup. Brilliant little tiny thing. You can just Google difficult conversations, read Mahalco and it will come up. Um, And what I would say for that is like one of the best places to start is just what are your fantasies and to talk about your fantasies with your partner, knowing that, and you can frame the conversation as such where like, we don't necessarily have to do these things, right. but what are the things that are fantasies for you? So, and it could be something super simple, like I really want to try like cowgirl style at some point in time, or I'm really curious about, you know, being blindfolded while you make out with me or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything huge, which Mm -hmm. those things might even feel a little huge um, depending upon where you're coming from. But you could just talk about that. It doesn't have to be like, I would be strung up to the ceiling by ropes and chains or whatever no right it, it might a- be
0: easier for you to kind of like start small anyway but there's probably something that you could probably find there to begin that conversation anyway rather exactly.
1: than diving in deep you know? <laughs> right and to also frame it as like i'm not saying this because i think our sex life sucks or because of anything else mm. it's just that like i'm curious about expanding the space in which we experience our sexuality and i want and i'm curious if there's things that like when you masturbate, do you fantasize about things? Or even when we're having sex, do you fantasize about certain things? Or are there things that you wish we had more of or less of or whatever? And it's just like a, a space to have that conversation. And if you've been in a relationship for a while and you have a pretty healthy relationship, it, it's probably less scary to bring those that, that sure. kind of thing up. Now, if you're just starting to date somebody, <laughs> it's going to be a little more scary, which I think is what you were talking about with like, I don't know what I want, and I don't know Mm. what I like, and I'm trying to figure that out still, it can be really useful um, to just sort of feel into the flow of things, or as you do things to ask for feedback. Yeah. Which can be something simple that like, and if you're the person that's giving the feedback, those things can simply be sounds it can be gestures. It doesn't have to be full on sentences of like, that feels like, and then, you know, do some beautiful metaphor about chocolate or velvet or something. I don't know. Um, It can literally be like, "Mm, mm," or like a little pelvic thrust here and there. And that can be enough to like communicate. This feels good. Um, And that's even true for men. Like mm-hmm. men can also make noises during sex. It's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I think that when, when women make noises during sex, I think it turns on men. Te- 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 generally speaking, um, and men are also allowed to make noise during sex. I think we're kind of scared to do that sometimes because it like feels scary to make noise. But making noise can be really helpful in a few different ways it can diminish some intensity of, if things feel like sensations are becoming too intense, but it can also allow you to release some energy so that you can actually feel more sensation later. Mm. So sounding during sex is actually really, really good, regardless of your gender or what your genitalia are. Um, and I think that that can sometimes be the way that like, Instead of saying like this is what I want to frame it as like I'm gonna try these things and you let me know how it feels right. um, and not even having to say that but just being like I'm gonna suck on your nipple and and then afterwards I'm gonna ask you if you like it you know that can be enough um, yeah and there's also you know if you're totally new to this kind of thing there's so many there's so much out there on like you know blowjob tips and. You know, she comes first by that guy that wrote that book. Um, that's all about <laughs> cunnilingus, basically. It's all about right. how do you go down on a woman. Um, those things can be really useful so that at least you come into the experience being like, okay, there's these things. And to be honest, even if you pull up the random article from like Glamour magazine, it'll be enough to get you through a little bit. And then right, as you'll learn you- learn pre- something. Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be like anything crazy, um, and then, as you move through things, staying in that space of curiosity, moving along with what your partner is physically telling you they like or don't like, given the sounds and giving the gestures right. that they have. Um, and potentially, probably going to get you further them, than the
0: book anyway, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Responding
0: to this individual human being just totally. right there in front of you. Yeah. And
1: I can remember a couple of partners I had who were less experienced. And they really did like, they tried something out and then they're like, how did that feel? I know that. Or even I remember one specific time, um, this guy was like, I'm going to try something out. It might feel weird, but let me know what you think. And it was like, (laughs) it was fine. It wasn't like my favorite thing that's ever happened to me, but it was definitely not like weird feeling. It was just like, Oh yeah, Yeah. cool. That's cool. You can, you can add that to the rotation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think, something like that is like that that's great. Right. As a female hearing that makes me feel like, "Oh, thanks. You like care about my feedback and you you want me to experience pleasure and ultimately any good lover is going to want that and they're going to want mm. you to be experiencing pleasure as you offer pleasure. Um and so starting that conversation can be more subtle than having to be like, "We're going to have a conversation about what we like and don't like in bed," you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I I think back to so when I, I, I was married as a virgin 25, I think, you know, like out of Christianity, that was my world. And so that was my only sexual experience. And then uh my next relationship is now who I'm married to. Like that was just the relationship that happened. I'm sure I could have dated a lot more people, but it, it worked. So I was like, let's do this one. Um And so I had very little experience going into my second relationship, which is the one I have right now. I mean, I have not had a lot of partners, not a lot of experience. And I know for me and until was, this was her first relationship, uh, not first relationship, but first uh, overtly sexual relationship. And and going into things like that, like, and being aware of like our, um, inexperience of what we we like ourselves of what the, our partner might like things like that i think simple things like I, we found um right at the beginning i was like let's download an app that has all different sex machi- uh, positions and you just press a button and it shuffles and just goes try this and you're like okay and there was this element where there was it was softer in you didn't have to be as vulnerable because you didn't ask could we try this but also you didn't even know that. no you're like, looking at it going, okay, I think we're going to have to look this one up because I don't even know how to get in that position. Or, you know, yeah, it, Dave and I at, at time it was deck. like, Jesus. Um, so of course, like some of them are like, okay, I'm not like, you know, 10 years into yoga. So I'm not going <laughs> to do that one. Um, exactly.
1: The, the one where I'm, yeah, I, I totally just, get the it. The beauty
0: of it was just like, you know, it, it, it opens up this thing of like, oh, we can try things. So we can say, oh, what? And and there was, and there was a curiosity added because we have no idea what the next thing was. And you go, well, oh, let's talk about it afterwards. Like which, which position are those? Eight positions? Did you like the best? Which one did you not like? You know, which are we going to add to like a regular rotation here, and which ones are <laughs> we going? Let's just like leave that. Maybe try it again in like a few months. But no, that wasn't really great. Um, and and just having tools like that is such a, an amazing time to be alive. I know that we've you know probably our parents had the book Karma Sutra or something, but like <laughs> just the ability to have an app that you just click a button and it, it gives totally. you a position to try, or or you know these these amazing like references you can go on youtube and find out how to give a good blowjob find out how to go on down on someone and and there's probably great videos for those things um uh, explaining walking you through and of course you're then gonna have to try right because it's not just visually like learning something and now i've got it um but it's an amazing time to be alive for this this problem quote unquote right that um, yeah, like you said, most people have, right? No one is born knowing this shit. Like you have to figure it out. And some people figured it out a while ago because they were um, brought up in a different environment. I was gonna say fortunate, maybe unfortunate. I mean, who knows what the, the pros and cons of each person's journey is.
1: Right.
0: Um, and I'm thinking but, yeah. also
1: like with the, there is like a sex deck that you can grab on Amazon and there's probably multiples of them. But I know when Dave and I picked up one at some point, we literally just put all the cards on our bed and we went through each of them and said, Oh, this one looks interesting. This one looks interesting. This one is the one that like we will never attempt. <laughs> you know, like because there is that yeah. one that you're like, I don't want to try to figure out how to put my body in that position. And I don't right. I just, that just doesn't look I good to like I like not
0: having a bad back. Let's put exactly. it that
1: way. <laughs> like I'm not going to take a contortion class, to at least so I could get myself into right. this position. Um and so I feel like what we were able to do when we did that was we were able to come up with like, Oh, these are the ones that we share in common. Let's try those yeah. first. And then we'll try the ones that are like just mine or just his. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it, it is like a nice, easy external resource that you can just yeah. use. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think so if, if you are a woman who's interested in men, it's kind of unfortunate because, or fortunate um, because men are pretty easy to please in my experience. Like they're just going to be grateful that you're, you know, like if you're giving them a blowjob or giving them a handjob, they're just gonna be grateful you're doing it. Um, What I have noticed though, is that a lot of people, a lot of women in specific feel like there's a little bit of an factor in that. And um, it can be helpful to just note that people aren't supposed to taste like ice cream. Or whatever it is that your favorite treat is, people are supposed to right. taste like people, um, and that goes both ways, right? So, like, I also know lots that's of women it. that feel very uncomfortable with a man going down on them or a person going down with them down on them because of like taste. Like, what if I taste bad? And and if you've read those like teen magazines where they're like, if you eat pineapple, it'll make you taste better, or whatever the BS is, I don't know if that's true or not. Also, it doesn't really matter, like right. Humans taste like humans. If Um, I want to eat
0: pineapple, I'll have some pineapple after this. Exactly. (laughs) Like,
1: like the point isn't, you're not going to taste like somebody's favorite food unless they really uh, women tend to taste a little briny tend tend to, um, if you are a woman, feel free to like taste yourself at some point in time. It'll help you feel, realize that like, we don't taste that bad. It's not, again, it's not going to taste amazing, but like, it's not going to taste terrible. Um, and it also isn't that, like, these actions aren't necessarily things that will automatically feel like this is super comfortable and, 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 and easy to do. There is a little bit, I think, of innate, normal ick factor that comes up when we are licking or tasting a portion of somebody's body that has secretions. Like, <laughs> that's, I think, normal. And mm-hmm. and to normalize that, I think, is really helpful because of the fact that, like, you can feel wrong for thinking something is icky. You're not wrong. You're probably just a normal human being. But knowing that it's okay for it to feel a little icky and you can still do the thing because you're doing it for the sake of someone else's pleasure. Yeah. And that's okay. And that as you get more adept at pleasuring another person, that is... The good, happy feelings that come up when you give somebody pleasure are going to trump the feelings. I still try to avoid using that word, but um, <laughs> it's like the ruined PTSD the that's words. present as the as a U.S. citizen, um, maybe as a person in the Just world, a global
0: um, citizen, probably.
1: <laughs> he's ruined the word and there's not another word I can think of. Um. But, you know, your desire to give somebody pleasure and knowing that that your actions are going to give somebody pleasure is going to top or trump the, the ick factor. Um,
2: yeah.
1: And that's a process. That's not going to happen yeah. the first time you go down on somebody or the first time somebody goes down on you. It will happen over time, and it really just takes, it just takes the practice of doing it a few times, and then you're like, okay, now I kind of enjoy it. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah
0: it's it's so interesting that the, the the whole dynamic of like taboo and and how we engage with each other and these very like in one context very gross ways and in another context the the best right you couldn't think of anything better um and it is really weird it is nothing but weird that you could uh put a picture of um female genitalia in front of me and I'd be like that's some weird shit but you put some female Jane Taylor in front of me when I'm slightly aroused, or it's my wife in front of me or whatever, and I'm like, yes, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And it, it really is suddenly the, the contextual component. Um, it turns, uh, icky taboo into the best type of taboo, right? There's almost a component of, of the taboo being actually adding fire to that on some level. Cause there's more yeah. vulnerability. There's more. It's, it's a very interesting. Um, component. It's it's the eating ice cream when you're depressed, right? We eat, we sit down, we eat ice cream to feel better. But we all know that ice cream tastes a little shit because we feel shit. Whereas when you go out on a nice sunny day and walk by the beach and you're licking your ice cream cone, it's the best thing in the world. Same ice cream. Ice cream's coming up often here. Um, I know. I'm like, everybody's going to be context, like eating ice right? cream
1: after this. We should get right. this. <laughs> Sponsored ben and by came ice Bronx, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: But you know, there is a, a thing of like context changes so much of how we engage with something that's exactly the same, right? I don't want to go down on some random woman in the street, but you put my wife in front of me and I'm like, yes, let's do this. I'm in. Um, it, it, it's, it's entirely contextual. Um, and, and so it's, it's such a, a fascinating component that i guess i so my, i guess my point being until you have the right context in these these situations until you've created those contexts, like you're saying like until you've kind of done this and gone oh gosh i i'm associating pleasure with this thing that outside of pleasure it's just a bit weird it is weird it's weird that people put a penis in their mouth or whatever right it's like that's odd <laughs> that's an odd thing that we do yes. I, i'm always fascinated when my wife gets changed and i'm like oh, boobs and i'm like that's weird. Why on earth is it that I have evolved over <laughs> millions of years that every time I see boobs, I'm like, these are the best things in the world. They're weird. What? What? What is that? And and again, it's all context. It's it's it, it, totally. it, it's just a fascinating component um, that on some level, I guess, if we don't have those context uh, contextual kind of components that have framed that, that, have built that, we kind of have to work through it, power through it. Um, that makes total sense to me. Um, big time. L- let's play through some uh, other questions because I feel like there's, there's some other directions that these questions um, were going. Um, one of the things someone asked, and, and I, I, I was fascinated. You brought up already the one about um, does everyone just have sex on the first night? Like it, that that that's fascinating to me because that pretty much was the kind of like general. A voice given to uh, the secular world. Well, you know, we don't want to be like the secular world. They just run around having sex every twelve seconds. They just meet someone, like, "Hi, I'm Phil. Let's have sex." You know, and um, and and so we talked about that. It's probably not very accurate at all. There probably are people that like like that. Yes, but it's not probably fair of of all people. Um, but someone asked uh, an interesting question about this as well, and I wonder if you talked to it about the what is healthy in kind of a sexual ethic towards like having something like a one night stands? Cause, cause I've come across different people in the kind of ex purity movement culture um, that have very different positions on this. Some have um, kind of the, the thought of, you kind of need to swing the pendulum. You kind of need to go out there, and you need to have sex with a bunch of people, and you need to kind of explore, and you need to um, kind of do the opposite of what you've kind of repressed all this time. Kind of let yourself unleash, and you should be going out there, and and that is a healthy thing. And then I've come across other people saying, "Well, hold on, maybe that's not the most healthy." And 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 I personally, I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of everything, and it's dependent on the person and, and whatever. Um, but do you have thoughts on? Um, you know what? What are some healthy sexual ethics um, as we're as we're kind of coming out of a world where we were given our sexual ethic by the Bible, whatever that means. Um, how how do we start building healthy sexual ethics? Is it healthy for some people to have a bunch of one night stands? Is it healthy for some people to go, I'm still going to wait for marriage or, or whatever it looks like? Is is there a way that we kind of conform a healthy sexual ethic? I don't know with with some data, authority, because I think a lot of us are still looking for some input, you know, especially if you don't know much, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at, I always love to, there's like five things that I'm thinking of. Okay. So okay. first to the question of should people like go out and have sex with lots of people or not? Um, I really think it's up to the individual and really feel like it's going to be based on everybody's individual temperament and what they've concluded is the meaning of sex for them. Mm. And I also think that a lot of it has to do with who are you finding, right? Like when I was living in New York, I had a lot more sex because there was a lot more people around that I was interested in. Um, Obviously now I'm married and we don't have sex with people outside of our relationships. So there's... I'm not having sex with as many people because I'm just having sex with one person right now. But even before Dave and I started dating, there just weren't as many interesting people in Boston to me. Mm. And therefore I wasn't going around having as much sex because there just wasn't as many there weren't as many interesting humans, in my opinion. Is this
0: a chapter in your "I Hate Boston" book?
1: I, no you know, what, interesting I,
0: humans. I don't want to have sex with anyone here. This place sucks.
1: <laughs> I don't. I hadn't thought about adding that as a chapter, but maybe I should. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I think there's a there's a lot of factors in like, do you want to run around and have sex with lots of people or not? And what I think the most important one is what are your actual feelings about the meaning of sex right now? And that doesn't mean that you have to change them tomorrow. It doesn't mean that that's going to be your meaning of sex for the rest of your life. But in this moment, what can your heart, what can your mind, what can your body digest that will feel good in the coming days? And this means that like, you'll you'll probably push through that boundary at some point in time and you'll probably feel shitty eventually And then you'll know that, okay, that was too far. I've got to scale myself back. And then maybe at a different point, you're like, I'm going to push that boundary again because it feels like maybe I'm ready now. And then maybe it does feel good. So like knowing that can shift over time and it's, it's really up to the individual to figure out what's going to feel good and what's going to feel bad and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, I had another thought that I wanted to say, and I'm losing my train of thought around that idea, but it's individual. Oh, right. So Dr. Jana, um, I always forget how to pronounce her last name because it starts with a V and it's very long, but she did her dissertation at NYU on casual sex. And what she found in her research basically is that casual sex has positive emotional outcomes when both people entering into it are on the same page. Mm. So if you enter into casual sex, hoping that it's going to end up with a long-term relationship, but the person who's entering into it on the other end of it thinks that it's a one-night stand, that will probably end in some hurt feelings. If both people walk into that experience expecting a one-night stand and it ends up being a one-night stand, everybody's going to be fine. Mm. So being clear or as clear as you can be about what are the intentions of Myself going into this situation, and what are the intentions of the other person going into the situation?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that can sometimes be challenging because it requires that sometimes you have to have a conversation about, like, listen, I know we met on Bumble or I know we met on Tinder, like, but I'm really looking for X right now in my life. Does that match you? And mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really respectful way to open up a dating conversation, regardless, especially this gets into the question of dating when you've been taught that dating is only for marriage or only to figure out if you want to be married to somebody. I think that there's a way in which being upfront and honest about what you're really looking for in a relationship when you date somebody is really important. And I know even Mm. when I was dating Dave, um, he is six years older than me and we met when I was 26, I think. So he was 32. And I was like, you know, if he's somebody who wants to have three or four kids if I'm not 100% in it, like I need to figure out whether or not I want this to be a long-term relationship really fast. Because if he wants to marry somebody or if he wants to be in a relationship with somebody who's closer to his age, there's a right. time span then, there that I have to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of a conversation we had somewhat early on of being like, listen, Ike, do, what do you want <laughs> for your life long-term Right. And are you certain of that, right? So, for Dave and I, we're both sort of up in the air. Question mark around whether or not we want to have kids. So that was an easy thing to sort of just sit with that. But if somebody's thirty five and they know they want to have, especially if you're a woman and you're thirty five and you know want to have, you know, you want to have right. four kids, Absolutely. you don't want to waste your time with some guy that's like, mm, I'm on the fence about marriage altogether. That's a waste of your time. You want to get out of that. Um, but and you don't want to try to convince somebody later on. Yeah, they do want to get married. They do want to have four right. kids. No, no, no. You want to find the person that wants that thing. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's impossible, but like you want to find no. the person that's on the same path as starting you or else you're going to waste your time. Planning to change
0: the other person is it just a bad exactly. way to go anytime, <laughs> any context.
1: Totally. And so to the extent that like being mindful of what another person's goals are in relating, mm. is imp- it, it is important. Um, but that also if you find somebody where they're like, I don't really want to ever get married. And you're like, ah, neither do I right now. I'm just dating for fun. Great. Do it. Right. Dating just for fun. And it's totally fine. But that's sort of like offshoot mm. comment. Cause I know there was a question about that too. Um, the other thing that I always tell people to check out when they're trying to create a sexual ethic is Margaret Farley's book. Just love. Um, Margaret Farley is a religious, was a religious sister. She taught at Yale, but what just love really lays out is an ethic that is based in Christianity. So if you're super being triggered by just Christian thought in general, it may not be the best place to right. look, but she sort of lays out, and I have the book in the other room, but it lays out like, what are aspects that we need to have in a sexual relationship in order for it to be just or oriented toward justice. And some of the things that she mentions are equality so that there's not like a major power differential. You're not looking at somebody who's, and I, I, as a young woman in New York city did experience this and sort of played around with it. Cause I sort of dig power dynamics and think that they're fun to, mm-hmm. I sort of get off on them. But, um, you know, if somebody has a ton of money and you're really poor, that can be fine. If, if people are able to meet as, as individual humans, but if it's a, if it, if that's actually going to shape the relationship where you're only dating the person in order to get free meals, that's creating a really weird power right. dynamic that if you're not at least conscious of it, it's probably not going to be helpful. Mm. Um, so meeting as equals is one of her things. Mutually pleasurable is another one of her ethics. Um, things like that. There's a lot of mm. pieces of mutuality where you're really looking for equality between the two people meeting each other. That it's really a free choice that's entered into. It's not that somebody's being coerced. Um, things like that. So just, right. you know. It, it's it's not her general ethic is not overly religious but she does come from a religious thing oh here it is i found a website thank you new ways ministry which if you are somebody who is part of the lgbtq community new ways ministry is a great thing to check out so what she says is no unjust harm free consent mutuality, that both are giving and receiving, both are active and passive, that the roles are not predetermined based upon gender. Mm. She calls for equality, um, age and maturity being particularly important components, um, commitment. And this, I think, is really important to know that it's an expansive understanding of commitment, that it doesn't have to mean that, like, you're entering into the relationship being committed for the entirety of your life, but being committed for the amount of time or the in the way that has been agreed upon so going back to that research by dr jana of saying like you can have a positive experience in a one-night stand if both people participating in it understand that that's what's happening um she also calls for fruitfulness which if you are catholic you know that fruitfulness generally refers to procreative actions but this is really looking at you know is this a life-giving experience. Is this providing right. nourishment to both partners? Is this bringing out the beauty of life, you know, et cetera. And it could of course also be related to like actually creating new human persons, but it doesn't have to be. And then the last thing she mentions is social justice. So really looking at the relationship that you have as potentially like, is there an orientation toward how is, how is this bringing justice about in our whole society, in in a systemic mm. way, which I think is a very big question. That would not be the place that I would start if somebody's just starting right. to sort of figure out their own sexual ethic. Don't start with social right. justice. Um, start because, central
0: and work out. Right. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Like because that question really becomes one of like how are Dave and I, as a heterosexual cisgendered couple, doing actions and living our lives in a way that's also bringing about justice for couples that are not cisgendered heterosexual couples and that is a far bigger question it's one that certainly you want to have in the back of your head at some point in time but don't start there i think that would be it's not that it's not important it's just that on a practical level
0: it's biting off more than you can chew to begin with right exactly
1: start with equality and mutuality don't start with
0: yeah Yeah. That makes, that's a huge thing for a lot of people. I, I guess there's so much that comes up in purity culture that just kind of messes with all that. It messes with the equality. It messes with, these, there's so much power dynamic. There's, I mean, just thinking of like how many times have I heard stories of people saying, uh, I haven't, I didn't want to have sex with my husband, but the church told me I had to, whether I like it or not, because you're his body and and things like that. Like, I mean, just practically rape. There's, there's, yeah. That's the word for that. Um, and, and so things like that, where women are subject to their husband and yeah, husbands are subject to their wives as well. But really only in the context of like, no, no, oh, yeah, of course, I'll have sex with you whenever you want. Right. But even then, I've, I've known plenty of, uh, you know, heads in a household that have low sexual libidos and they don't. They don't do that, right? They go, oh no, I don't want to, or whatever, right? So immediately, there's all sorts of power dynamics at play to basically ensure that the men get what they want sexually and women don't. Um, and and I guess there's so much um, going on there that, as we come out of that, we're still trying to wrap our heads around. We're still trying to. I think of um, one of the biggest impacts uh, that I've seen in purity culture for women is just. On a very basic level, take sex out of the equation. Just how they see themselves—they they see their their bodies as sinful. It's to be covered up. It's to be hidden. It's—you know—there's so many components that come into play here with power dynamics, with how we view ourselves, with um, what we bring to the table, what we expect someone else to bring to the table. One of the questions we had that was really fascinating—we mentioned it at the top—is. Um, do you see components of purity culture that may be helpful and healthy and part of a sexual ethic? I mean, I, I'm hearing you list, uh, list these kind of, uh, kind of just love components and some of that seems relatively compatible with some of the stuff I've been taught in the church. Not fully by any means, <laughs> um, but there's, there's flavors and hints and, and I guess, um, I know that you've got your own unique, um, upbringing and I know that you've worked with other people that have different upbringings within purity culture, but are, are there things that, I guess we would be maybe um, doing ourselves a disservice by throwing out as we kind of just toss out purity culture. Like, are, are there components there that you're like, hey, maybe at some point, even if you throw them out now, maybe you might want to revisit some of these kind of components that were there. What, what do you think about that question?
1: I think there's a few things. One is that I think purity culture is different depending upon where you were raised and how you were raised. So, and I was not raised in purity culture in an evangelical sense. I was raised under like theology of the body, teachings and Catholicism. And I think there's actually quite a bit of value in some of those things when we take out gender essentialism, et cetera. Um, Specifically, like in the theology of the body, it's very clear that sex is a very sacred act, that it is something that can bring us closer to the divine. It's something that, if you really take John Paul II's theology very seriously, he's actually articulating that sex as an act can bring us back to the sense of original innocence that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden, um, which, of course, in my mind is mythical. It's not a literal Adam and Eve living in a garden, but I think that that is Uh, that is a potentiality of of sex acts if they are entered into in a particular fashion it's not something that should be an expectation for every time you have sex you're not going to like have this experience of divine union or even a sense of original innocence and however you define it i don't think that's a reasonable expectation but i do think that it's a it's a nice idea to hold on Mm. to and to say that this is possible I think that along with that goes the idea that that sex is sacred and sex is something that is i i would say like a serious manner but not like matter but not like a not an overly serious way which i realize is sort of an oxymoronic statement but um there's our paradoxical statement perhaps that makes it sound mm. a little better um but it is something that's sort of serious, like even with birth control, even with, you know, protection available for is It is an act that if you are heterosexual could re- could could produce a human person. Um, and that is something to not be taken lightly. I think mm. that doesn't mean that we can't have one night stands. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy ourselves and. And you know, enjoy, enjoy the pleasurable aspects of sex. But I do think that it's important to be able to feel like you can have a conversation about the realities of the action that you're taking and the potential Mm. results of that before you enter into it. Um, And that includes, you know, having a conversation about STIs beforehand, when were you last tested and using protection and all that kind of thing, knowing how much risk you're taking on by entering into a relationship with this person and also having them know how much risk they're taking on by entering into relationship with you. And those conversations I think are almost more important than being able to talk about like pleasure because Mm. pleasure is sort of a secondary experience. And underneath that is, is just the pure safety component and, and sexual wellness. And that's really important is just like, how safe is this experience first? And then, let's make sure everybody's having pleasure. Um, And that's also, you know, I've talked to people who are okay with like risk-aware sex, which means that perhaps you're not using condoms, you're not using those sorts of barrier methods to protect against STIs, but the people involved in the the act are conscious of the risks that they're taking. And, Mm. you know, if people are consenting to something, I'm okay with them taking the risks to get sick, right? It's like, there's, I'm trying to think of something I do that's like very risk oriented, related to my own personal health and safety. But right now we're living in COVID and like, I'm not going anywhere (laughs) other than the grocery store. So like, you know, whatever, (laughs) not the best time to uh, New York city subway. I touched railings and then would sometimes touch my face back when that was the thing that wasn't being told not to be done all the time.
2: Mm.
1: I was risk aware that like me scratching my nose after touching the new york city subway could potentially result in me getting the flu um yeah. that kind of thing um yeah safety i got a little distracted where was the starting point of that question that was good
0: we were talking <laughs> about purity culture and is 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 there stuff that the oh, church is kind keep. of teaching that that may be healthy we might want to revisit or or consider before throwing out i guess
1: yeah, I do think that, like, the sin, the seriousness of the action does need to be taken into consideration. I don't think that we need to look at it as sin, um, but I do think that that is an important aspect of it. I mm. think, like... Yeah, that's the one that I would probably take the most out of. There's other things that I would say in Catholicism, like the potential to go back to the Garden of Eden and the sanctity of the action. I do think that the concept of in Humanae Vitae, which talks about sex being unitive and procreative, the procreative part I would would cut, but I would shift in something like unitive or fruitful, which is what Margaret Farley is using in her language, of like sex should be fruitful in some way. Is it providing... Is it a life-giving action for us as we participate in it and for our partners as we participate in it? Um, and that's important. But the moralizing of actions I don't think needs to be kept.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a tough one. You know, I, I love, um, I know you're a big fan of Ken Bober as well, but he says like, no human is smart enough to be wrong about everything, right? And so it's this thing of like anything that is said is going to have some truth in there somewhere. Somewhere, the, the most moronic, stupid idea in the world is gonna have something somewhere that is true, that clicked, that made this person go, huh, this might be a good idea. Or, or even just the fact that, like, nobody does the wrong thing all the time. At some point, you go, man, this just isn't working, I'm gonna change, right? And so, certain things that people do for a long period of time, whether they're ethical, whether they're right, whether they're wrong, like, there's probably some truth in there that's that's working for people um and so i i do think about stuff like that as well and i probably do lean more on the kind of anarchistic kind of like fuck it let it burn um that's me i'm very much like when i'm kind of like transitioning i tend to just chuck it all away and then i'm like all right cool i've explored all my other options I'm going to have a quick glance in the trash can and just see if there was anything maybe I wanted to pick back
2: at, right? And Which I think is totally fine.
0: Between my legs going, oh, yeah, there was a couple of good bits in there from that past relationship, that experience, that movie I said was crap, whatever it is, right? Um, I'm, I'm a very all or nothing, but then I've uh, more often than not, given enough time, go, oh, that nothing from my past, there's probably some good stuff in there that I want to incorporate with some of this good stuff. Um and, and I, I think that's,
1: that's like a 100 that <laughs> that's a 100% valid way to go about it. Like, I don't want to say that yeah, like it's absolutely. better if you do something more gentle. I think we are all different kinds of humans and there are some, some of us are going to have to do that. Right. Some of us are going to yeah. have to do the pendulum swing of being like, I was totally chased and never did anything. And now all of a sudden I'm like, you know, gallivanting at sex parties. That's pretty much what I did. Like Right. No judgment if that's your path. No judgment if you're the person that's like, yeah, I don't think that purity culture is great, but I am just going to date one person at a time and sort of do a, a really nice, gentle way of experiencing that and opening and expanding my per- position. That's great too. Right. <laughs> there's and no there's judgment pros either and cons way. To yeah.
0: Both of those examples, right? In both of those examples, anyone could sit down and analytically go, oh, there's a downside for this one person that isn't going to get to experience that. And then there's actually a downside over here because they're not going to experience that. And then there's some pros over here. You know, anyone looking at that can go, oh yeah, well, this isn't a black and white situation. And and you just weigh it up with who you are, a personalities. I'm very risk averse. So even in my wild kind of like burn it all to the ground, I'm using safety matches, okay? Like, you know, I've got my my safety goggles on. Um, but... <laughs> I'm burning it to the ground, but we're gonna be safe about it. Um, yeah, so
1: <laughs> imagine like, <laughs> I a fire truck next right? to you. Too, you like call the right, fire department exactly. beforehand. He's ready, everyone?
0: All right, let's <laughs> burn this. <laughs> no, I, I, I am a very um, risk-averse person, uh, and and so generally speaking, while I do swing from very extreme positions, and I'm very all or nothing. I can tend to I look at after my number one a lot. Um <laughs> I'm very very careful in, in my destructive mannerisms. So I think yeah, it, it's very much a personal kind of journey uh, for sure. But I, I I thought it was a really interesting question, I, I, and I really appreciate you kind of sharing because I think you're right. I think sex is an incredibly unitive thing. It's a very profound thing in a sense. There's there's something very grounding in sex. And and the truth is, if sex wasn't so important and so um such a uh i would maybe use the word divine i don't mean that in the sense of uh tying it to a a god in the sky that made it up for a certain purpose or anything but i just mean in the sense that it is probably one of the most connecting visceral unitive kind of experiences we can have i can look at that and go gosh we've all done this for millions of years on some level That's astonishing. That's what grounds me to the, the entire history of humanity. This, this very real. But the truth is, if we didn't see this as a very important act, what we wouldn't look at something like rape as one of the worst. Totally. Violations of a human. One of the worst, uh, crimes. You take that towards sin out the way. The whole world is still on the same page for the most part, give or take. Obviously, maybe the world is probably a bit unfair, but certainly in our culture, we're all on the same page. This is not okay. And so there, there is a, a value of this act that it is important that it's consensual. It is important that it's on my terms. It is important that it means something to me. Even if what it means is a mutually agreed, Hey, let's have fun tonight. That's, that's totally fine. But it's, it's meaningful. It's deep. It's, it's powerful. And I think, um, uh, the church has maybe mystified that to an extent where it and moralized it in turn, to an extent where it causes a lot of damage, potentially, but they're probably not wrong in looking at something like sex and going, wow, this is powerful, this is really meaningful, this is important. I I agree, I think that's a really beautiful sentiment and and something that I don't want to lose in in looking at that, you know? Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, just the fact that having sex can create a human... That's kind of a mental thing. It's like we were looking at it earlier. Like it's like, right. wow, it's mental. I find boobs attractive or like, oh, we, we saw on penises and that's a thing or like we, we have sex and then it makes up human. Like another human just comes out later. Like what it's just happened? Like that's, that's totally just wild. Utterly insane. Um, and that's, that's a part of this dynamic. It's, it's a part enough that we actually have a whole, conversation about how we're going to avoid it. We have a whole system in place about how we're going to avoid it, right? Because it's, it's the natural outcome. Not saying that it's not very hard for, for some people and that, you know, there's a not, there's a whole host of other things that can wrapped up in there, but it's a natural outcome that like humans are made in this process. That's, that's astonishing. It really is. Um, and so yeah, this this is a powerful and beautiful and deep thing. Um, someone asked a question and this is really interesting to me. Um, Because I can see this going either way. And they ask, can can a strict strict upbringing in the area of sex and sexuality um, create more of a curious mind as an adult? Can it create more of a a sexual curiosity in people?
1: I think it totally could. I think, you know, in the same way that, like, everybody's got their own level of risk aversion and why we have that level of risk aversion is part of its innate, part of its – what how we were raised, you know, nature, nurture sort of stuff. I think the same thing is true for sexual curiosity, where some people are going to be more naturally sexually curious and other people are going to be less naturally sexually curious. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of, I'm like for, (laughs) I know someone who has two children and she talks about, they're both boys. And one of them, when he was an infant, was far less interested in touching himself than the other one is. There is an innate sort of more curiosity there about sexual sensation on the part of one infant than Mm. on the other. There's, you know, we have no reason for that. We don't, we're not going to be like, well, we think, you know, no, it's, it's just... Some people are more curious. Some people are more sensually oriented than others. Some people Mm. love getting massages. Me, other people hate getting massages um, or don't want strangers touching them. You know, all that sort of thing. In the same way that everybody's got different love languages. We all have different amounts of curiosity around sexuality and we all have different amounts of like, you know, how, what what range of experiences do we want to experience within our sexuality? Mm. And I think that maybe it could have something to do with like, sometimes I think there could be that correlation of being like, you know, I was raised that all of this stuff was wrong, but now I'm really curious and I want to have all of it. And sometimes people are like, I just don't care. It's just not my thing. Right. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know. So you'd We'd say have it's to-
0: probably more likely to be linked to the individual first and then it just so happens that that's how it kind of, um. it it impacts a human being.
1: Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking about like specifically anecdotally, just like looking at a range of friends and being like, "Mm, I don't know the people I met that were like really into kink. Some of them were raised religious. Some of them were not. Right. Some of the people that I know that were really into Tantra, some of them were religious, some of them were not. Some people that I know who are raised more secularly, have pretty vanilla lives and some of them don't. Like it's sort of, you know, right. I think there's there's other factors there and it doesn't mean that for an individual person there may be a correlation, but I, I don't think it would be a rule. We'd have to do a, a massive study.
0: A big like kind of meta study of exactly. everything. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It'd be, it's, it's so fascinating to me because I do, I do think um, we've shown again and again in different areas. I, I don't know, I've not looked at, at the data on this on sex, but in general prohibition does kind of, lead to the exact opposite. When you say, don't touch that, the human response is to go, Whoa, I wonder what happens when I touch that button, right? And so if the church is uh, hypothetically going, hey, don't have sex, what happens, right? Now, of course, you take that away and you go, well, what happens when you turn into a teenager anyway? You want to have sex, right? That's the the human body just gets to an age and goes, all right, let's do this. I want to start having sex right now. Let's do it now. Now. Come on, now. Right? So without that order from the church, it's there anyway. So um, I think, like you said, like these things are kind of so intermingled. Um, but it is quite fascinating to me that, you know, all sorts of different components in play where you're brought up an environment. I, I wonder, like we, were, me and Till are watching a documentary right now about Amish people and they sent six generic teenagers from the uk to go live with amish people around the us and different amish communities and experience what it was like and they make them dress like the amish they cut their hair like the Amish. it was like everything was like imposed on these kids but i'm looking at it i'm like i wonder what kind of like weird kinks get developed in like an amish community where everyone (laughs) has to look the same everyone has to dress the same everyone has to you know there's there's so little individuality i'm like what mm-hmm. might come of that does that does that do something and that was just a thought i had but i'm yeah. like ah, i don't know everyone's different right i don't know those people went to the same church as me and i bet you they don't have exactly the same sexual kinks as me or whatever my brother who was brought in the same house as me doesn't probably have exactly the same like you're saying two kids raised by the yeah. same family different kind of uh, curiosity um so yeah I, I just get intrigued by stuff like that so.
1: one thing i will say that as we're talking about this I i do actually have a there was a study done on on a little bit of stuff. Um, Unfortunately, I don't remember the book at all, so I can't give you a title to go read. But when she was doing her work on interviewing a whole bunch of college students who were coming from Christian colleges in the U.S. about their sexual practices, and she also did a study looking at secular colleges and what students there had as their sexual practices. One of the things that she did note is that way more students that had been told that they couldn't have sex before marriage, they interpreted that very much as like penis and vagina sex. Mm. So those students, those Christian college campuses had a lot more anal sex, which I think is super fascinating. Um, Really fascinating. Right? And so anal sex was more pro- prominent in on the Christian campuses in part because you really... I mean, <laughs> you can't really get sex from, from anal sex. I don't want to say that as, a, as an ultimate conclusion because there are some like crazy potentialities there, but don't also want to give people a complex about right. anal sex being the way that you can conceive children. But anyway... Don't um, ruin
0: this for all the Christians on conservative Christian campuses. <laughs> Come on, Rachel.
1: <laughs> Use protection... <laughs> basically even anal sex you good can, either you,
0: way really good 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 kind of uh um precedent.
1: yeah use condoms even if you have anal sex um if you're doing that with more than one person um but even if you're doing it with one person i don't know everybody's got their own level of, of what feels good but um anal sex was more prominent on Christian college campuses because people were like, Oh, well, this isn't really having sex. This is okay. Mm. God's not going to hate me. I'm still saving myself for marriage because I'll still be a virgin. Potentially my hymen will still be intact. Um, that kind of thing, which is, it's, it's it's just a really fascinating, weird thing that was happening. It's also the one thing I really regret from my grad program is that I had to give a presentation on that specific book and on the chapter that talked about anal sex. And I was in this classroom with a whole bunch of it was an interesting subset of the population. We had a priest from the diocese, which diocesan priests tend to be more conservative than the Jesuits are. Mm -hmm. Um, We did have a couple of Jesuits. I had somebody who had been an Augustinian but had left and he was from India. Somebody from somewhere in Southeast Asia who was relatively conservative. Someone else who was from Southeast Asia who was also had just sort of started to come out as a gay man someone else who was starting to like date people and was interested in having sex for the first time. And I knew that because we had conversations about it. And the instructor of that class was a, was a lesbian woman who was generally closeted at least at the school. Right. You've got a weird subset of the population in that room. And we're talking about anal sex. And as I look around this table and I realize that I'm probably the only person who actually has had experience with anal sex, we're talking about this and the priest from the diocese says something along the lines of like, isn't that just so disrespectful of other humans? Like, how could you possibly respect somebody and still have anal sex with them? And I'm sitting there just trying to be like, do I out myself in this moment? Do I not out myself? How do I be sex positive in this conversation? And right, I'd I couldn't still get an A. do it. There's only so much exactly. There's only so much self-disclosure I could have in that moment right. in that classroom with that specific population.
0: I and think anyone it, would forgive my you for that. My biggest regret in
1: grad school is not standing up standing up oh, for anal wow. sex. Oh.
0: It's it's <laughs> so. I had a conversation with someone literally the other day who said that they, um, out of fear of losing their virginity, they, their, their first time having sex was anal sex, and and I just. I was so fascinated because I thought I had thought it was more of a bit of a meme you know a uh, bit of a kind of funny joke oh Christians yeah. do this I'm like no maybe at like one Christian camp this spread like wildfire somehow or something but there's no way that this is a common and and it's only in like looking into it more I'm like wow is this is really common Um it's just utterly fascinating what's fascinating about it right is so for a heterosexual couple there's a loophole where if you have anal sex you're not having sex but if you're gay you are having sex <laughs> just saying right because right? technically no gay people are having sex either because that's all their options right? right as far as intercourse like penetrative uh i guess oral or i don't know whatever my point being uh it's a fascinating uh component of cognitive dissonance there where we're just gonna
1: totally this
0: this is that oh, and this man. is this and they're not connected fascinating yeah um, oh wow interesting okay let's uh <laughs> let's keep moving and we'll, we'll wrap up in a bit um where are we at we've only got a few questions um going in, and we may have covered some of them anyway but um some of this is more the psychological component we did cover this at the beginning but someone was talking about how they said uh, what is say? uh yeah how do they kind of get over it? they've got this kind of like inner monologue going in their heads saying like oh you know uh you're temptress this is bad influence this is mm. this is evil this is wrong you know there's so much, I'm kind of going to merge a couple of questions together, but like there's so much um, shame and guilt um, associated with sex that, that people end up feeling dirty. They feel um, wrong having sex. And I guess this goes back to kind of to what we were talking about early on, but um, do, do you have like um, any tips for people that are like really just struggling with that kind of persistent voice track that just, I guess it's, it's the intellectual thought that that just isn't changing, right? This isn't just, I don't know if it is maybe more embodied motion or I'm not sure where the overlap between thought and and, and embodiment goes. Um, But for some people, this is remarkably persistent. I, I don't talk to as many people about this particular situation, but I talk to people who have this maybe when they start leaving their faith and they, just are handed nonstop with guilt and shame of like, oh, you're going to go to hell, or God's disappointed in you, or you're 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 evil, and Satan's got you, and you've hardened your heart, and, and these kind of thoughts, like, y- you you, it's not easy to shift. I mean, this is decades of work gone into embodying and and it's, and creating neural pathways that are like you know 110 highways wide. You know, these are like massively um, ingrained thoughts. How, how do you recommend people kind of like start working through it? We did talk about this a bit at the beginning, but I wonder if you can go into like a bit more depth with that.
1: Yeah. So I think, and I talk about this stuff, I think in the first podcast that we did together, because I think I would, I would okay. give, I would turn people back to those same exact practices of having a conversation with your shame, talking about it with itself, trusting that knowing that you're, you're growing, you're not getting, you know, you're not going away from God. You're actually getting closer to God. Even if there isn't a God, you're getting closer to like ultimate truth and understanding, mm. um, all those sorts of things. And trusting that that's the direction that you grow in, because that's the direction everyone grows in. People don't backslide. Backsliding is simply a, um, it's the name that I think ultimately Christians give to people who are growing beyond them. But or it's what my pup, my puppy will sit on the ground and his fur is so slippery and our ground, our floor is just like we have wood floors and he will slide back as he sits. That is backsliding. He slides backwards. It's adorable. Eventually right. I'll make a reel Everyone's that talks about that. it. Um, <laughs> once I figure out how to make a reel, I feel really old. But um, <laughs> Yeah, so there's those pieces of it. And that's, that goes back to, you know, spiral dynamics and that kind of stuff. Um, When it comes to the ideas of being a temptress for wearing a tank top or, you know, that kind of conversation or sex is just bad. My body is bad. I think Mm. one of the most useful things to do is think about, is to really look at like, if you're somebody who still believes in God and believes in Jesus and all those sorts of things, really look at like, what else do you believe about God and make a list of like, what are the, what, what traits do you believe about God? And what do you think God thinks about humanity in general? And what is this all loving God? Because Christians believe in an all loving God. We just also have this really weird thing of also thinking that God hates us all because we're all sinners. Right. Right. But if you focus more on the loving God component, which I realize also if you're coming from those spaces, you're like, yeah, but you're throwing out the most important part, which is keeping us from hell. Um, But focus for a moment on, like, loving God. If you really identify with God as a loving being and as a good father, as a good parent – what does that actually loving parent, not the loving parent that's going to throw you in eternal damnation? Because let's be real, no parent would really do that if mm. they're really loving. But if you really did have unconditional eternal love from somebody, what would they do? What would they think about? How would they treat you? Especially given that, like, we're not created with clothing on. Right. And in a lot of cultures, even today, the amount of clothing that people wear, if they don't live in the u k. and Boston, where it's like freaking freezing most of the year, <laughs> right um, they don't need to wear clothing. So the amount of clothing they wear is really simply for protection. yeah, it's not for keeping them warm. It's not for covering up their genitals. It's not for covering up, you know, if it is covering up their genitals, it's it's literally usually for protection purposes right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than for modesty. And I right. think, if we really look at that, there's there's a lot of truth in that. And I think, I mean, mm-hmm. even if you look at, especially when it comes to like the temptress idea, um, if you imagine yourself at a nude beach or um, New York City right before I left, made it legal for women to be topless. Yeah. And... I partook in that. I went with a good friend of mine and we sat in Central Park topless and it was really fun. It was a little chillier than we wanted it to be, but it was, (laughs) it was fun to be like, Um, the more that we normalize seeing people's bodies, they become desexualized. They're no longer things that we look at with lust. And I I don't even know what lust really is. Um, I know what it is supposed to mean, but I don't really, I don't think we've got a good definition for what makes it lust no. as opposed to something else. And I think if we look at your body isn't inherently tempting. Your body is a temptress or seen as a temptress or or whatnot because of a culture that has oversexualized it.
2: Mm.
1: And that is not your responsibility. Other people looking at you with lust or you know what is that called? Objectifying someone. That's right. not your responsibility to stop them from objectifying you. That's the patriarchy telling you bullshit. It's that person looking at you. It's their responsibility to police their own gaze. Right. Yeah. And it's the patriarchal institution that's taught us that your body is something that needs to be covered up because it's too tempting. Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimately that's also disrespectful to men because it says that, like, Phil, you can't control your own thoughts. Right you're Absolutely. so We're at the
0: mercy of right. someone wearing a strappy top oh my god it's shoulders
1: that's not the case. <laughs> um no, that's, uh, yeah and i i do think a lot about like when i've been to a nude beach like everybody's body's hanging out there and i am not getting like first right. off a lot of those people you don't really want to see naked anyway but also like <laughs> yeah. You're not getting like turned on by it because it's, it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. And so nothing's really sticking out to you. You can have that sort of appreciation in the same way that you would for a really beautiful statue, but like,
0: yeah. 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 The thing that helped me with this, because this was a big issue for me, massive issue for me growing up in church, like I was not able, gosh, if women covered themselves up, that was even worse. Now I'm just imagining what's there, you know, like it's just like, whatever. Like I, I just really struggled with objectifying women for a long time, well into my first marriage. Like I was still really struggling, like I did not know how to, deal with that and actually something that really really helped me is when I started traveling for um, speaking in different churches and things and I started going to a lot of places in Europe someone that my guests would take me to the sauna and the sauna in a lot of Europe is very different than what we in the uk and uh, America are aware of uh, comfortable with or even know like we just we just don't even want to know um, people don't wear anything it's considered quite dirty to have a sauna in your swimming trunks your bikini or whatever because you're sweating and something that's just gross you should just be naked um and they're generally speaking unisex they're not divided by gender or anything like that and i remember the first time i went with with this guy who was like hosting me Is just like a missionary and i'm like oh my god i'm going to this unisex i'm like shit i'm like a boner or like i'm gonna be so like like because like i'm constantly turned on by any woman. Like, I'm i am this objectifying machine. Uh, and I was so scared. And I remember going there and just being like, huh, this feels really normal. Feels quite normal to walk around naked. And it feels quite normal. Like, this is my friend, the missionary, and he's naked. And it's not really weird that he sees me naked or I see him naked. And oh, there's a bunch of women and some of them are not particularly attractive to me, not my type. So problem solved, great. Okay, yeah, good. And actually if they'd been clothed, maybe I'd be like, maybe, but like, you know, whatever. Um, But actually there's plenty of women there that I'm like, whoa, in a different context, I would have, I would have been like objectifying and whatever. And actually I was just like, this just feels normal. And the more I did this as I started traveling, I was like, wow, like, wow. Me finding someone attractive is so contextual. Or not even—I guess—attractive is the wrong word because I could still look at someone and go, "Wow, that woman's attractive," mm-hmm. but that was it. I just then was like, "All right, well, now I'm going to sit and sweat." Like, do you know what I mean, it's like it was—that's not what I'm here to, to think about, to do. We're, we're all here. We're all in this kind of shared experience, and it just highlights how contextual some of these things are. What we—and it's—it's we
1: it's so fascinating sexual. because I almost think that the way in which lust and objectification like the way that those conversations are shaped in purity culture actually leads to more objectification. Big time. And that's exactly what you're describing. And, you know, even even the idea of like, well, women and men can't really be friends like that kind of conversation, because obviously, like if women and men are friends, like somebody is going to be wanting to have sex with the other person. It makes it impossible To be friends with someone because you're constantly thinking like, oh, but does this person want to have sex with me? Does this person, is this person seeing me as a potential spouse or what, what's really their motivation here? Um, Mm -hmm. And that actually leads to more and more of the problem rather than can we just be honest about humans are humans. We have bodies. We're meant to have bodies. Our bodies are good, right? The whole idea of Jesus' incarnation is the fact that God wanted to have a body,
2: Mm.
1: not necessarily to redeem all bodies as from being terrible, sinful places, but because bodies are innately holy. And even if you think he did it to redeem bodies, we all live after Jesus. And therefore our bodies are redeemed. (laughs) Um, Our bodies have been made sacred through the incarnation. If they weren't already sacred before the incarnation and to lose that aspect of Christianity is really losing The key piece of what Christianity is all about, which is like the body can be seen as sacred. And when we don't see the body as sacred, when we don't see the body as something that can be experienced as holy and good, and even our pleasure as being Mm -hmm. holy and good. This is totally going on a tangent that I think is really important, but it is a tangent. Um, We're losing the key piece of Christianity, but also we're we're moving toward Gnosticism, which is a heresy. Um, and it's not that Gnosticism hasn't been woven into a good chunk of Christian theology, going back as far as like Augustine, right? Because Augustine right. was part of the Manichaeans, and the Manichaeans are very much an anti-body sect. Not even of Christianity, but they're anti-body sect in general. And then that was sort of fed into his his work. Yeah. And I think it sort of reared its ugly head again when evangelicalism came about, which is very anti-body, But that is not the meaning of Christianity. That is not what Jesus was about. Key piece of Christianity, God becoming human, God becoming flesh. And so when we really take that seriously, it means that our body is super, super sacred and holy, Mm -hmm. even our pleasure. And I particularly mean that, I mean, men also, but women have a particular organ where it, it only has one purpose. And that is sexual pleasure. Your clitoris has one purpose. Um, sorry, men have like a dual purpose right. machinery down there, but women. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Like it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like we're saying the human body, it's just, it's utterly astonishing and to be grounded in that. And and it is the thing that kind of like, just reminds me I am here. I am, have been here for a very long time. That as humans, we have been here for a long time, and it's through this mechanism of, of physicality, of of sex, of of connecting. That's what will ensure we're going to be here for a lot longer as well. It's it's, it's a beautiful thing, um, and yeah, the, the the notion of I mean, it's the incarnation. Uh, Athanasius was was a big fan of you know it's the incarnation that we're saved, not the not the the crucifixion. Yeah, and just the fact that God becomes human. At that point, we're done. We're, like, you, you know, you don't even need a crucifixion. God became a person and is a person forever, according to Christian tradition. Jesus is still a person, a human. He's not some ethereal spirit again. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people aren't into uh, Christianity anymore, and that's fine. But like, if you're a Christian, even still, you've got to go, yeah. gosh, there's divinity in my body. That's what the purpose of Jesus, one of the main points was pointing out, this is holy, the flesh. And I
1: think... You know, even for the people who have left Christianity, it's important to note that the Christianity you were taught, if it didn't ground right. itself in that idea, this is strong language. But I use this language with the church that my parents go to semi-regularly. So I'm going to use it and, and people can soften the language if it feels really offensive. It was a bastardization of the church right? that Christ yeah. instituted. Um, yeah. and And I think that's, it doesn't mean that you have to go and find the real church that Christ instituted. That's not what that means. If you're, if you're off the Christian path, but it does mean that like, you can notice that actually I was taught something that was completely not what Jesus was trying to teach. And that, you know, we can, everybody's got a different history of where the theology that they were taught with taught was coming from. So you can go look into that and figure out, well, where, where are the actual roots of this? Mm. But knowing that, that's not what jesus was teaching that wasn't what he was about that's not what christianity was supposed to be but it has been bastardized over the history of it to become something that is is anti-body. yeah um and that to that to me is one of the saddest things about it is that this tradition that was originally intended to be so pro-body became very antibody
0: yeah yeah, no, it, it's, it's incredible to me. And it's, and it's something that I'm still working so hard on in becoming more embodied to becoming more aware of what's going on in my body. What is my body trying to teach me? I mean, this doesn't just affect our, our, our sex drive and our, and our sexual desires and how we fulfill those it goes right down to so many of us are storing trauma in our body and unaware of it and only starting to become aware of it as we leave church and go, oh, we're not just spiritual beings burdened with a body, but actually, whoa, this body might be telling me some stuff and holy crap, I've got a shit ton of trauma. Um, totally. You know, it's it's incredible to me how disassociated I, I I was brought up to be. Not intentionally even, I don't think. I don't think many people were intentionally trying to get me to dissociate with my body. Um And yet that was, that's, the underlying current of a lot of what we taught. Um, And it's not
1: just the church that does that. Um, if I can infuse a moment of spiral dynamics, so much of our culture is very orange. Yeah. Um, and because of that, reductionistic,
0: materialistic, totally.
1: And it's very anti-body in that way. It's, it's very Mm. much about, you know, you clock in at nine, you leave at five. I don't care if you're hungry. You're not going to leave for lunch. Um, I don't care if you are, you know, it treats the body like a machine that should just be able to do the things that we ask it to do instead of as a body, which requires attentiveness to its needs, you know? And I think of even like, I'm somebody who struggled with um, some disordered eating habits when I was in high school and college. And I still, you know, a decade after those experiences struggle with figuring out when I feel hungry
2: Mm -hmm. as a result
1: of that. And that's- you know my own being yeah. not in touch with my own body and being able to hear its its needs
0: yeah have you come across so um it's just a random conversation between you, me and you at this point. But uh, have you come across, um, Wilbur's got something called integral mindfulness. It's really interesting, but he goes through integrating different stages. And so one of his theories is that obviously we've got shadows at each stage that we've not integrated. So we've not integrated our our red or our orange or our whatever it might be. And he was saying that generally if we don't integrate, we form either um, an addiction towards something at that stage or we form an aversion to something at that stage. Yeah, it was uh, just or about allergies. Um, and so his theory is basically at the very base level, when you look at beige, when you look at survival, it's about hunger, it's about thirst, it's about living to tomorrow. Even sex is kind of like more purple. It's, it's next stage. We, we can mm-hmm. live without sex. We won't continue the species, but <sighs> we can live. Um, and so he was saying, generally speaking, if we don't have um, a healthy integration of that as we develop and grow, maybe we grew up in homes where it was not taken care of as much or not valued or whatever it might be um, we generally will create aversions or addictions towards food um and so um i just that's so fascinating because i've worked with quite a few people with um eating disorders and, and stuff like that, and I, i've definitely got some uh food stuff in my pad so he, he, do, he does different mindfulness practices at each stage where it's like oh so this is what we're going to do to try and see if we can find anything at each stage it's so interesting i just fascinates me
1: yeah Um, because it's the
0: best of shadow work it really is like to go and look through those stages and kind of integrate
1: yeah i have it i have his integral meditation right next to me i'm working my way through religion of tomorrow right now okay is is a i've not read that one it's a project it's like one of his 800 page tomes pretty much
0: everything of ken's i
1: love (laughs) so
0: much but it's like i I, i've got a patreon for all my supporters (laughs) oh apparently siri thinks i'm talking to her um i've got a <laughs> patreon for my partners and we're doing a book club on ken wilbur's a brief history of everything which i know we've talked about in the past oh a, yeah that's fortunately is
1: much shorter and um, it's so much
0: shorter and so much easier it's quite an easy book and, and everyone in the group is just like this is so hard to read and i'm like guys just wait if you want to read anything else if i can
1: <laughs> i think part of what work. my husband and i have talked about is like he recapitulates everything
0: Yeah, he really does. So it's
1: like, okay, great. I got the basic setup. You don't have to tell me this again. I really just want, like, I wish at the very beginning. Chapter
0: six or something. Exactly.
1: (laughs) All of his books were like, if you've already read X, Y, and Z of mine, just jump to chapter six. Anyway. Yeah,
0: like a choose your own adventure or something. (laughs) Uh, I love it though. But I, I do think, oh, it's just so fascinating how these disembodied so that's very very primitive stuff but it's like you're talking about that cartesian orange kind of like we're split into body mind and mind is the most important mind rules the body look after the mind control your thoughts i mean even as we're talking uh, you know that can be a good thing that it's not it's bad it's just that's the stage we're at and it can have very negative components if that's all we see the world through but even right at the beginning you're talking about that in a good way of like hey your body might be kind of overwhelming you right now have a look at the thoughts, try and allow those thoughts to shift and change. And in turn, you might be able to start looking at your body. Like that's a good, good way to kind of Im- impose some kind of orange thought in some level. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's just, it's fascinating. Rachel, can I ask you one more question and then we'll wind up. Yeah. There was one yep. question that's burning on me and it was something that I didn't send it to you because um, someone asked me just this morning, but mm. they were talking about, um, so this is a surprise. This is where we find out if you uh, were doing your homework and coming up with great answers before. Um, someone was talking to me about the dynamic where when they deconstruct, a lot of people aren't single. They aren't looking to date. They aren't um, even deconstructing with their partner. A lot of people are on a very different journey than their partner. Um, and there's a component where sometimes our relationships have been formed in quite unhealthy ways um a lot of our relationships in the church as they're formed are formed very unhealthily we're 17 18 year olds and we're getting married to someone we barely know but I and mean, when the reason we're getting married is basically because we couldn't have sex until we got married and that's basically the main reason we're having sex like uh, we're, yeah. we're getting married so we can have sex you don't even know like long term if we're that compatible and like there's all sorts of different dynamics that can come into play when people get together um in the throes of religion and then you fast track 10 12 20 30 years and people start to deconstruct they start to think for themselves they start to have a bit more autonomy they start to think about sexuality and sex um do you have tips for how to navigate that when you're largely going to be navigating this on your own? Uh, it is maybe a hard, you, you know, we mentioned the conversation with the partner about, well, I want to try self section You're like, well, it's kind of fairly easy if you're married, but potentially that might be really yeah. hard if you're married, if the other person isn't kind of on this liberating journey.
1: Isn't um, with you in you, it. Yeah.
0: Do you think these kind of relationships are just doomed to fail? I mean, I know some do. Um, but I, I've also seen other people navigate beyond those. Do, do you have, what do you what are your
1: thoughts on that? I think there's I wouldn't say it's like obviously doomed to fail, right? There are relationships I I've, I've personally been super in awe when I hear about relationships where somebody was a Trump supporter, like die-hard Trump supporter and somebody was not. I have no idea how those mm. two people can wow. remain in a relationship, but they exist. Um and I think there's people who, you know, have different religious beliefs and are still able to have beautiful wonderful marriages. And so it really depends on are the things that are meaningful is there enough of a is is there enough of a bridge there? Mm. Um right? Like my husband and I don't have the same exact religious or spiritual beliefs, but enough of it is overlapping and I think we're both at like a stage of faith development where like we get that you know, you really love Zen Buddhist meditation and that's what feeds you best. But for me, I'm really into, you know, something that's more affectively oriented, something that has more emotion in it. And that works for me because we have different emotion. We have different, we are different people and we need different things. So I think there's ways in which like that can work out when it comes to the sex component of things. It's really important that both partners are getting the things that they need. Mm. And, you can go without what you need for a while, I think, or at least some people can sexually. But if it's something that's important to you and you want to have your sexual needs not only met at their very baseline, but met in their totality, it's going to take some growth on the part of your partner to meet Mm -hmm. you where you want to be met. And there's ways in which they can do that, even from like a more Puritan puritanical, but more um, purity culture oriented space, right? Like if, you know, if you're somebody who's like, I'm really interested in X, Y, and Z now, or I really want to explore more sexual positions, even something, something, something like that, where it's Mm. not super edgy. um, It may not work if you're like, I want to explore extramarital experiences that might be the line where that could stop. But There is a decent amount of flexibility, I think, in what is, what would be possible to experience. And again, if your partner's at least somewhat game toward having a more interesting experience there, it could be really great. Um, This is also where I would come back to the idea that your very best sexual partner is probably going to be yourself no matter what. Mm. And that if you aren't your best sexual partner, it's going to be really hard to have someone else be, you know, I, I've been, I was just working with Carlin Ross, who sort of took on the mantle of Betty Dodson's work after Betty Dodson died a few months ago. And she's actually been sort of taking on the mantle for several years as, as Betty's been declining. Betty was like 90 years old. And Carlin does these really great body sex sessions where she specifically works with women to sort of like, feel more alive in their sexuality and really claim their pleasure as being purely for itself and not for something else. Cause that's something that I've, I've been sort of working through over the past year or so just realizing like, Oh, I usually associate my pleasure as being like for a purpose where it's like, this is good for me. So I'm going to do it. Or like, this is good for my partner. So I'm going to do this pleasurable thing, mm-hmm. or I'm going to receive pleasure for their sake. And it's not really for me. So it's a kind of a, a deep, inner level of like where I was working. And I was like, I want to work with this woman so that I really can claim pleasure as me, as mine for me, for no other purpose than simply my pleasure. And, you know, part of what she was talking about was that that's, um, that a lot of what Betty Dodson was, was always speaking toward is that your very first sexual partner is yourself. Hmm. which means you get to be your best sexual partner. And then anybody else that you have sex with, it's something that you share with another person, but it's ultimately yours to start with.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's certainly not something that Christianity teaches us. It's always for the purpose of of procreation or within marriage. So it's always for another person. But if we can start to deconstruct that belief to really say that sex is for me first, not sex with another person is for me first, but... (laughs) sexual pleasure that I give myself or that I give myself with the use of a toy is for me first, that's going to do so much for that person who is deconstructing specifically their sexuality without their partner. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, if your partner has a lot of aversion to a specific thing, um, let's say, pornography use, right? They're like, please don't watch pornography. Don't do it. Just like respect them and and mm. don't do it. Um, if they really feel like that's cheating, we can have them maybe potentially try to deconstruct that belief at a different date, but do things within like the realm of consent. Um, I also know that there are people who will believe that like it's it's cheating when you ha- masturbate. And I think that's an idea that I would sit yeah. down and talk with your partner and say, I really don't think this is that. And why do you think it's cheating? This is why I don't think it's cheating. Is there a middle ground that we can come to? Mm. You know, if I try to avoid, you know, is it only cheating if I'm thinking about other people while I'm masturbating? If I'm thinking about you and fantasizing about you while I'm masturbating, is that okay? Right. Um, Or if I'm fantasizing and simply focusing on like the sensations that I'm experiencing, is that okay then? that kind of conversation I think could be really helpful knowing that you can then explore your own sexuality first and that could take you a whole lifetime to get to the point where you, you know, have all the pleasure you could possibly want and then exploring within the boundaries of what your partner wants within that relationship and within that space. Mm, That's sort of what I would say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I've not been in that space uh, myself and so I, I just, it's, an intense situation like it's an intense situation anyway with everything else going on which is going to in turn affect how you feel sexually anyway right Uh, because libido is so tied to our emotion and and, and, and what's going on and and so like it's already a lot for people to be navigating this disparity between this uh a couple um and so yeah no it's really really helpful really good Rachel. Thank you so much. I appreciate you it. We, are so we got through welcome. the questions. So I feel like we, we stayed on chat there's so many times I was like, let's go down there. And I was like, no, 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 let's bring it back. And so I think we did great. <laughs> we, we did great. We um, only had like
1: five or six minutes on spiral dynamics, so I feel pretty like solid. Just about here
0: that. or there. We probably could have gone into it a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's a, a certainty. Maybe we should just do a spiral dynamics chat sometime.
1: <laughs> I would <laughs> just love geek that. out over
0: spiral dynamics and Wilbur. Um, I have so
1: many feelings. I've been working right recently on so James Fowler's work is is one mm-hmm. of the things that 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 he that that Wilbur pulls from, and I've been sort of like thinking that we really need to further delineate stages three, four, and five because I think right. there's actually stages within there, and also delineating like like you sort of spoke to this a little bit of like you're sort of like a burn it all down person, but there's also the people that move through, and that's like a very clear delineation from stage three to stage four in Fowler but there's also people who don't do that and, and their way of moving into stage four is going to look radically different. And I think it would be really helpful to actually have that written out. Also yeah. a book that my therapist last week when I was talking to him was like, you should write a book about that. And I was like, yeah, but the why Boston sucks book, it has to come first.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it feels more important and needed in this world. Uh, right. I've been thinking recently um, I'm really intrigued by this. How, personality overlaps with with human development? And so looking at something like how interesting would it be to try and do a long-term study, trying to map people going through the spiral, through some sort of developmental um, uh, progress. So even looking at James Fowler's stages, right? Can we look at people going from stage three to stage four? If we find enough people in stage three and just watch them, a bunch yeah. of them are going to go in stage four. But then can we then drill it down and go, okay, what well, Enneagram are they? Or
2: mm-hmm.
0: Myers-Briggs or whatever kind of personality. I know that's whatever. And I know people say Enneagram's not a personality it's typing or whatever. But, but you know, if someone is a nine Enneagram and someone's a five Enneagram, how do they go from stage three to stage four? I bet it's different, yeah. right? I mean, we know that it's going to be different.
1: Right. We <laughs> and, could imagine that so the, stage, fascinating. the Enneagram five is going to read a whole bunch of books and then move forward. And the nine is going to be like... <laughs> right and the nine is probably going to do something that's peacemaking oriented i'm like nines are weird right. i don't understand nines. i don't even know four. i've not
0: met many nines that have navigated from uh, n through <laughs> without still burning <laughs> everything down <laughs> no it's it's funny isn't it but yeah like i just think that that sort of thing is so fascinating I, i'd love to see more studying that because uh, i'm with i i find fowler's work really interesting but being in the thick of my job being helping people go through these transitionary stages. I'm with you. They are just too simplistic. They don't really cover it. And a lot of people look it through that and go, I don't even know where I am. Like, because it doesn't feel like it quite fits or maybe we need a, I don't know if you've come across um, crap. Who is ego development theory? I can't remember her name anyway there's great theory ego development theory it's the same sort of thing but it's focused more on ego but she has like nine stages and it's one through mm. six but she has like these kind of like one slash two two slash three mm-hmm. and so she's got these mid stages and it's so insightful when you start to look at it as mid some of the mid stages correlate with spiral dynamics and you go oh so there's a blue orange stage that makes a lot of sense Cause I've seen a lot yeah. of people that are blue um, orange. They're not blue. They're not orange. They're blue orange. Totally. And it's a real weird mix to navigate and to internally cope with. Um, I think a lot of people like that come, that, that first start to deconstruct when they message me are like, Hey Phil, what should I believe about this? And how do I translate the Bible this way? And how do I do this? And how do I, and they've deconstructed a lot of their blue, but they're still blue enough that they want an authority figure to tell them what to believe now. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's so.
1: It's actually really great. That's actually a really useful stage for yeah. people to be in because what that means is that I can just tell that person, oh, <laughs> like, here's the reason why those beliefs are bullshit.
0: Right, and then right. they'll start
1: to move in that direction.
0: You can give them some books to read. You can just,
1: <laughs> exactly. I, I, it's,
0: I warn and, about that a lot because I'm nervous that I start putting people on a path that isn't the quite right path for them. And the uh, thing is, it's is that so like,
1: interesting. I mean, it's helpful to also think about the fact that like you can't be in control of somebody else's life, so you're not going to fuck yeah. somebody up that much. Um, but. If you're (laughs) well-intentioned, if you're well-intentioned, exactly. Not that much, just a little, you might fuck them up a little, but not a ton. And I think what's can be really useful is like, you know, here are things that I recommend. And then after they read the books or after they check into those ideas to say, what do you think? How do you feel about this? And I think even going back to the feeling and, and if somebody can't articulate like, Oh, I feel happy or I feel free or I feel whatever to say, as you read this, what did your body feel like? What came yeah. up in your body? Because our bodies are, always have sensations. And so, like, somebody could be able to say, like, when I think about this idea, there's a clenching in my chest. There's a churning in my stomach. There's an re- ease coming into my shoulders. And that can sometimes get people toward that self-authoring piece, which is yeah. really where you want people to end up. But you do that by asking questions that are focused on the eye rather than on the content. Yes, Yes. Yeah. Oh, I
0: love it. It's it's so so interesting. It's so um, transformative when you start to understand how this works. Being able to help people navigate yeah. their their journey. Rachel, tell me. Uh, gosh, crap! Time. Uh, I've got a podcast starting in five minutes. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. It's my fault. I'm just rambling. I was like, we'll wind up, and like, like oh crap! Nope. Uh, we got started talking about smarter than us. That's what happened tell people how they can connect with you. I'll make sure we've got links in the show notes and YouTube and stuff like that. And what are you working on right now? Like what's, what's some stuff? For, last time we were talking, you were about to launch something. Like, have you got some stuff in the, in the works right now?
1: Yeah. So I have my Tree Salvation one-on-one coaching program is open again because it's about five months later. Um, and that's a five month one-on-one coaching program. I also am open to working with couples. Most of the time I don't work with couples, but I can and I do. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in that, find me, chat with me about it, and we can figure it out. Um, I also recently opened up a wait list for people who, for a sliding scale. So also the cost is prohibitive. We can talk about it anyway. And then there's a sliding scale program. Um, I don't have any spots on the sliding sale open right now, but you can get yourself on the wait list for the future. Um, Cool. So you can find me on Instagram at rachel.alba.coaching. I have a Facebook group called Discovering Sex Positive Christianity. And I recently started a podcast with a good friend of mine from grad school, Lori Kimmerly, called the Sex Positive Christian Feminists, where we talk about sex positive Christianity and feminism. And we are we've got a lot of really cool guests that we have lined up and we also just chat That's about exciting. stuff ourselves. So
0: that sounds awesome. Remind That's me of the group stuff. again so I can write it down. Because Discovering
1: sex, positive Christianity.
0: Okay. I'll make sure there's links to that.
1: And for your oh. sake, Phil, all of those links are on my Instagram. So if you go to my Instagram it. link, like all of them are listed.
0: Perfect. Okay. Rachel, thank you. That was amazing. I loved it.
2: Yeah, Every you time are so I feel like fun. this happened
0: last time we ran out of time. <laughs> um, I think the fact that we had a list of questions kept us on point really well. And then when we ran out of questions, it was just, we're off. Um, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and if people didn't listen to the last talk between us, like I recommend to do that. I really recommend they go check out your, po- your podcast. Is it launched now then? Because last yeah. time we talked about it, you were just starting, right?
1: Yep. So it's yeah. like launched. It's it's out there. We've got like six, or seven exciting. episodes. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Awesome. I've not checked it out um, yet. I'll need to check it out. But yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much. So I good really to chat. You're the you best film. Yeah, Seriously.
2: was really fun.
0: We'll need to catch okay. up again soon. Have another chat. <laughs> All right. Bye. So that was the amazing Rachel Alba. Do make sure you check out our podcast, Sex Positive Christian Feminists. Um, make sure you go and check out the facebook group if if you're on facebook i'm not on facebook so i can't vouch for it but i'm sure it's great i know that she does um all kinds of free trainings and puts out a lot of stuff on there um and i follow her on instagram just putting that great stuff there as well so that's rachel.alba.coaching um the links to those things are in the show notes so make sure you you make uh use of those and, and do give her a follow shoot her a dm let her know that you enjoyed this if you appreciate it that's all from me. I really appreciate you. I really um, I value your attention. Uh, I know these podcasts are long and I hope that you get uh, all the, the meat that is in them. I know that we can ramble, but it's so that we can get into the nitty gritty, into the depths of uh, these kind of conversations. And I don't want to do a disservice by uh, skimping on time and so i appreciate those of you that managed to make it into these two hour podcasts and get to the end i don't know if anyone ever gets these far this far but uh if you do i appreciate you i appreciate your attention i appreciate your support um, if you do want to support what i'm doing patreon or um uh, phildreiser.com partner is a great way to do that and um, we'd love to have you on it, the private discussion group that we've got going on it's a beautiful little community um do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com it's a free resource it's a great lifeline for a lot of people that are deconstructing and lonely connect with me on instagram i'd love to hear your story i'd love to see keep in touch and, and know how you're doing um, it's so important to me that uh that people are doing okay and they have someone to talk to if, if you've got no one to talk to i am really happy to to be an ear to listen and, and to talk to you i can't promise i've got anything myself useful to say but i can certainly sit and listen um, so yeah, please do message me on Instagram if you need someone to talk to, I'm always here. All right, that's enough for me. I'll see you next week for our next episode. Peace.